Hey, welcome back again to Uncommon People, the show about you and me and everybody in between. This is a chance for me to sit down and have intentional conversation with people to learn from their stories, their experience, and their perspective. This is a chance for me to encourage that kind of thing in your life, whatever you may do or whoever you may find yourself around. I just think it's really important to have meaningful conversation and that when we do, we learn a lot that is a little bit we wouldn't necessarily expect. Uh, I'm sure there are people in your life who have a lot to share who maybe haven't had the chance because we haven't been asked. Most of us don't go out of our way to talk about our story without being asked. Uh, this episode is episode 27. Um, it's a conversation with Zach Crabtree. Uh, this episode is marked explicit. So just a fair warning before getting into it, there is adult language and topics brought up in this. Zach has lived quite a life, um, and I'm really grateful that he was willing to share as much as he did about what he's been through to get to where he is now. We talk through a lot of different things from his history to where he is now and his perspective on a lot of those things he's been through. Um, I learned a lot and was really grateful for this conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as well. So, like I said, this is episode 27, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we are. Here we are. You're one of the people, honestly, who I know the least about (laughs) before... (laughs) having you on the show which is which is fun yeah i think that'll make for uh, i think that'll be interesting for everybody involved yeah yeah so zach you i met you at um my place of work as a as a connoisseur of coffee up to mm-hmm. a certain point up anyway to a certain point? Yeah. yeah yeah and i'll i think there's something about the way that you carry yourself and the way that you communicate and make eye contact and how deep your voice is <laughs> <laughs> that just said to me, like, this would be a really interesting guy to have on the podcast. <laughs> and I've had a couple of very brief conversations with you mm-hmm. at the shop. So, yeah, thanks for of Thanks course. for agreeing to do this. Of course. You're not a complete stranger. I've yet to have somebody who's a complete stranger. Like, I've never interacted with them before. On I here. bet that'll be fun, too. Yeah, that yeah. would be an interesting <laughs> one. But this is close. This is close. This yeah. is close. Yeah. How did you feel when uh, I was your barista asked you to be on a podcast that he has? <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, because we have had a few conversations. And for what I do know, you are a, you're, you're a wonderful conversationalist. And I know that that's uh, that's essentially what podcasting is. I know, but there's a lot more that goes into it, obviously. But I knew that it would be fun to sit down and just talk for a while, yeah, you know, and see what comes out. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a mystery for both of us. It is a mystery honestly. for both of us. And and being a good conversationalist, I'd say, is uh, I mean that that's a skill, and that's something that I think is, it can be overlooked at times. Oh, definitely. And, and I think that uh, I got a good feeling that you're good at this. And and I know that from the conversations we've had, so I'm looking forward to uh, 
Seeing what falls out, man. Yeah. Yeah. Hope oh, oh, and can I curse on this? Yes. Okay. Yes, you can. <laughs> all right. All right. I want to make sure. I yeah. Yeah. Say anything crazy. No, if yeah. if there's cursing, like I I make this this is a totally open discussion. So whatever comes out of it comes out of it. Mm-hmm. It's podcasting. So technically you can say pretty much whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And then I just, based on that, will either mark it explicit or not. But I don't okay. have, a, I don't um, filter anything in it. Okay. And I have no goal of being, this is going to be a non-explicit podcast only. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because again, I'm inviting people on to have an honest conversation with me about who they are, what they've been through, all these sorts of things. So you never know what's going to come out of that. So short answer yes you can definitely curse <laughs> wonderful yeah, wonderful. i yeah. tend to uh well that's a tendency of mine so that that works out yeah <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> I hate to be pulling punches over here right yeah so yeah. i said up until recently you were a, a bit of a coffee connoisseur yes as i just learned that just I, a moment ago that's that's changed as of uh, a couple months a couple ago. months ago okay, so talk about that yeah so i found out Oh, yeah, well, we'll start with the coffee thing. Man, I, I love coffee. Yeah. Fucking love coffee. I get the, uh, you remember, I get the pour over every time I come in there. And right. to me, that's like the pinnacle of making coffee. Uh-huh. You know? Oh, it's fantastic. And that, uh, you guys had a Costa Rican bean that just, oh, I'll lit my whole world up. <laughs> but for as long as I can remember, we're going to get deep immediately. Yeah. Uh, for as long as I can remember, I've had some kind of mood dysregulation issues. Where not necessarily anything that really impedes me. It's just uh, general periods of anxiety and depression, and uh, and I call it flash anger. Where okay. all of a sudden you're just angry about almost nothing very quickly. Hmm. And I found that <clears throat> these things were getting worse as I got older. I didn't really know what to do about it, and so I came across some videos of people doing the carnivore diet. And this was after trying every other diet. I've been vegan. I've been vegetarian. I've gone paleo. I've done macros. I've gone all organic. And I still do that. But So I thought, you know what? I don't want to be on medication. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It saves people's lives. But I wanted to try something that was still without the aid of pharmaceuticals. And so I tried going carnivore. And the beginning was, well, the beginning was it was pretty intense. Yeah, I lost uh, I lost ten pounds in a week. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think I had ten pounds to lose, and uh, all of a sudden I had a lot more energy. Huh. And within a period, it wasn't immediate that the mood stuff went away, but in a period of a couple months, I think about a month and a half, all of a sudden I woke up and I was free of depression. Hmm. And I had been depressed since I was as long as I can remember, 11, 12, something like that. It's just, and my father was that way, and his father was that way. So. Hmm saved my life it's uh it's wonderful so yeah now all i eat is beef salt and water wow yeah i eat so, liver sometimes too so it's you terrible. will you'll cook beef and literally all you're doing to it is adding salt yeah wow yeah has your your taste your opinion of taste changed as a result of this uh experiment yes that yeah you're totally right there it's uh all of a sudden i'm extremely sensitive like taste-wise, my palate to anything else that isn't that. Okay. I uh, my girlfriend likes to drink these Propel things, and like I'll taste that. It's like candy. 
like I can taste the dextrose. It's like a energy water oh, it's kind a, of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, so it's like a water flavoring thing with electrolytes. Okay, like Athletes right. use it and stuff. Yeah. And so I'll taste one of those, and it, it's so intense. Uh-huh. It's like pie or can. I don't even know. They have like a raspberry lemonade one, and it, it's like candy to me. Yeah. Yeah. And then I can also taste like much more synthetic things in food. I can taste the oils if I go somewhere. I never go out anymore because they use all these oils to cook things. Uh-huh. But I'll... I can taste like the, the grapeseed oil that they use. And then I know I'm in trouble because now I have, now I'm very sensitive to these things and they cause mm. adverse reactions. Like I'll feel lethargic or very moody for days after eating something now. That's not just me. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Wild. So what, what's your thoughts then on, on long-term continuing this? You're seeing benefits from it, but you're also seeing an increased sensitivity to things. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that going forward and what that would mean for you as far as speculating on it for your future and for your ability to potentially eat or drink or do other things? Exactly. Now, that's that's something I've actually been thinking about recently because, I mean, I'm not necessarily sure I want to just eat beef, salt, and water for the rest of my life. Right, right. <laughs> it's a little fucking dry, you know? And uh, also... Something that's come back recently is that I've been feeling a little bit more tired. So I'm, I'm kind of afraid of electrolyte imbalance or vitamin deficiency. Mm-hmm. So it looks like more experimentation. There's yeah. not really much out there about this. And as far as, uh, you know, eliminating certain foods to alleviate mood disorder, there's almost nothing out there on that. Mm-hmm. But I've got direct experience now. You know, maybe it could be something else, but it, it, it correlates too 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 strongly for me to ignore. Mm-hmm. So, I think I have to eat more liver, which is awful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> God, I hate liver. Man. Yeah, I uh, I'm yeah. not a fan myself. Yeah, but it's like nature's multivitamin, straight up. Really? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it's a beef liver. Is it has the most vitamins and nutrients that I'm aware of of any other meat that there is. You know, and. Um, it just tastes like hell. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's necessary for me. And I the electrolyte th- thing, I'm not sure yet. Yeah. I think my mom enjoys liver. Really? Yeah. She's one of like eight people in the whole world. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Liver and onions? Is that how she does Maybe. it? Maybe. I, I, man, I've heard those two words put together yes. for sure as yeah. a combination. But I don't understand why people would, uh, oh, would enjoy that. It's hell. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I'm trying to figure out how to eat it. That isn't uh-huh. terrible. Like maybe if I put it in a blender and drink it, I have no idea because I'm so tired of eating fried liver. Yeah. I mean, you're also <laughs> limited with not being able to add much to it. Yeah. 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 You can't change the flavor a whole lot. Not really. I was eating butter there for a while and I found even if I doused it in butter, it was still terrible. Huh. Yeah. Wow. But I mean, it's, uh, you know, eat liver once a week or be depressed. It's a pretty clear choice for me. Right. Yeah. And I'm super grateful. I'm yeah. I'm fucking ecstatic. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you've had a long-term relationship with depression. Oh. You said since you were like 10, 11? Yeah, pretty much as long as I can remember. Okay. I was, uh, yeah, there was always just feelings of dread. That's really all I can all I can equate it to. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, no matter what was going on, it was just I dreaded the next moment. I dreaded everything about what was happening. And even if things were great. It never really made mm-hmm. sense to me. I, I thought everybody lived this way. And it took a long time for me to figure out that, no, I'm, I'm, not, just, I'm not alone here, but it's not normal to be in a constant state of uh, just 
fear and pain. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. But it, I'm, I'm weirdly grateful for that too. It, it's definitely led me in some directions I think have been extremely resourceful to me. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. yeah. Long and complicated relationship with that. For sure. Yeah. We do learn from our mistakes. Our, not even necessarily, not in this instance, our mistakes, but our past. Yeah. Especially the painful things. Yeah. I, my, one of my mottos is I don't regret anything. Um, since I'm thankful for who I am today, I have to be thankful for my past. Mm-hmm. And as hard as that can feel in the moment for me of I'm currently struggling with A, B, or C to say, okay, but it's going to make me into whatever tomorrow's version of me is. Yeah. And so I'm going to be thankful for it. That's a hard thing to do mm-hmm. in the middle of something. It's much easier to look back on it. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh... That kind of reminds me of this this thing I heard. I'm going to reference this guy many times in this. Jordan Peterson. Okay. Yeah. He's like, uh, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's probably one of my favorite people. He's my favorite psychologist. I'm in school for psychology okay. right now. Okay. Yeah, Great. Yeah. So he talks about, uh, you know, these, these difficult periods of our life, like deserts, mm-hmm. you know. So first you're in place A. Everything's great, you know. Uh, um, it's essentially the land of milk and honey and then something bad happens and you're forced into a desert-like environment. And this could be like a, an actual desert. It could be an emotional desert. You know, pick your poison. And and as you do this, you go through and and you're trying to, to reestablish order within your life. And obviously when you're in the desert, you know, you're, you're kind of grabbing at anything. There's, there's not really a lot of sense being made. I know in the deserts of my life, I've been... Uh, Spent a lot of time reaching for for pleasures that were not sustainable, or I'd worship, or quote unquote worship false idols, just meaning like chasing money or chasing sex, and then you know coming to the other side of this, getting to an actual oasis and looking back. Mm-hmm. The desert itself was a you know it was a horribly painful experience, but it was absolutely necessary, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. If that, any of that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's um, it's a a better perspective. I mean, at least you don't end up with a victim mentality. You don't exactly. you don't want to be in that place. Yeah, it's not not useful for no. anyone. No. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that makes me think of a Jordan Peterson thing. I'm not super <laughs> familiar with him. Yeah. I've not really sat and listened through any of his full lectures or anything. Mm-hmm. But I my roommate is quite familiar with him, and then. I've seen more things popping up, um, shorter clips of his and different set things, probably because the internet and my phone knows that I have interest in him. Yeah, of course. Because um, it's always listening to us. Always listening. Yeah. 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 Um, and one that somebody had reposted was a clip about him talking about weakness hmm. and how... Jordan, if you're listening, I'm sorry if I ruin your your point. Hey, me too. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, just the idea that weak people are not helpful. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not we're not we're not trying to say weak people are bad people. That's not what we're saying. But rather understanding what is weakness, just objectively, and and how to turn it into strength mm-hmm. or how different it is from strength, mm-hmm. understanding that 
allows you to see then how that weakness affects yourself, the people around you, society as a whole, because people build society. And if you have, say, a bunch of people who are all abusive, your society is going to be abusive. Yeah. Um, if you have an imbalance of a bunch of people who are just, they have a lot of weakness and then a bunch of people who are abusive, say, and are strong in their personality mm-hmm. or in their abusive tendencies, you're going to have a society of enslavement. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah, exactly. And and to recognize that in my life, starting off, where am I not strong? Mm-hmm. Where am I weak? Mm-hmm. And how is that actually affecting me? Mm-hmm. Because it's not about saying, I'm weak, boo-hoo. I'm going to just beat myself up about it. It's recognizing it so that I can say, I need to get stronger in this area mm-hmm. because it will benefit me. If I'm then benefited, I'm able to benefit those around me. I'm able to be a blessing to everyone else who gets to reap the benefits of my life. Mm-hmm. And then all of those people in this huge ripple effect get to spread that benefit to other people. Definitely. Um, but if I, if I just give in to I'm weak, that only spreads itself. Like we all just, you know, we're all products of our environment, products of the people we're around. Mm -hmm. So if you're around a bunch of people who are constantly beating themselves up, you're probably not going to be the happiest person, you know? Yeah. yeah, You're more than likely going to get pulled under by that kind of shit. Yeah. Yeah. That happens a lot. And, and, and you touched on a lot of things there. It was wonderful. I, I, uh. We can go on a lot here. So (laughs) I think one of the first things that I needed to differentiate for myself was the difference between vulnerability and weakness Mm. because I'm still differentiating that. Okay. You know, being able to uh, be emotionally open and show that, you know, I'm a human being and I have very normal needs and very normal soft spots. You know, like I need things like love and affection and that I need to relax. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of there was a long period of time where I didn't want to, you know, admit that, and parts of me still don't want to admit that. Right. That, you know, I can just, I should do the fucking thing and smile about it because I'm still alive, and you know, and just, well, my mind, old Zach would say something to the effect of stop being a little pussy and get out there, do the thing, you know, even if it's literally killing me. So that's the one place I want to differentiate. It's okay to be vulnerable and be a normal person, mm-hmm. but then exactly you, you, but you put it really well. Because there is, there's a lot of aspects, I mean, that I can look at it myself and that I know that I could improve upon very slowly and with love and compassion mm-hmm. towards myself. Yeah. And like you said, it would only do this thing where I'm bringing up the people around me where and myself. And uh, it reminds me of this thing this guy said to me. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Elliot Hulse. I used to really appreciate his teachings uh, ideologically, I think we kind of parted ways some time ago, but I, I met him a few times and he's a relatively big dude on the internet. Like, not like Jordan Peterson. He's more in the workout scene okay. uh, and the life giving advice afterwards. Uh-huh. But, uh, I went to one of his, uh, camps once it was a meditation camp and he was kind of one of those people I looked up to after the passing of my father and we'll probably get to all that too. But I went to this meditation camp and I wanted to ask him a very specific question about uh, my mother's an alcoholic. And I was like, well, how do I help her? And he said, you can't do that. What you can do is you can make yourself stronger. You can have your light shine brighter 
And then the people around you will either see that and then have the idea implanted within them to make themselves better, or the light will shine so bright that it will blind them and they'll, and they'll leave. Mm. But that's really, that's your only option. And in this moment, <laughs> it's funny, he said that, and I was like, I don't know, 22. I said something like, yeah, but what do I do? <laughs> and he was like, and he was like, boy, you didn't listen to a damn thing I just said. And at this point, this guy's my hero. So I'm like uh -huh. shaking in my boots, you know, thinking <laughs> like I just pissed off my fucking hero. But, but then I, yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're right. I didn't even understand what the fuck he meant. Yeah, it probably took, probably took too long for me to understand. That like, <laughs> like, yeah, he's right, man. That's all we can do. And I think that's the, that's the best strategy. It's the only one that's ever worked for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, I've been talking, it made me think of something that's been on my mind or I've been talking about with just a couple of different people recently, just because it's come up, mm -hmm. and that's um, how our growth and other people's relate. Um, mm -hmm. I had a friend who I just got dinner with a couple of days ago who I hadn't seen in a little while, hey Mads, mm. and she asked me, when we were driving back from dinner, if there was anything in her that I saw that should change. Hmm. She asked me for constructive criticism on herself. Hmm. Say, what's something I can improve on? Is there something that I do that bothers you or that you see is not good that should change? Hmm. And it brought up a a great conversation I think around that which is one I didn't have anything to offer to her yeah. be because I think there's a couple different scenarios in which you can look at that you can give that kind of advice mm -hmm. you can be in a space where there's somebody near you who is close enough that you can be honest with them when they fall short Mm -hmm. And then you actually see them fall short. You see them make mistakes. So you see them do something that's wrong mm -hmm. that you at least see as this is wrong. This clearly should not have been done this way. Yeah. And then you can say this thing, you should adjust there because this shouldn't have happened. And this is why you can explain mm -hmm. why. But then the other side of that is you haven't seen anything done wrong. You just have seen things you don't personally do or you don't personally agree with how it's gone about. It's not your preference. Yeah. Uh, it's a matter of taste, not real function or mm. real um, necessity. Maybe even like viewpoint almost. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. Got it. And if I start criticizing you in that area, what I'm doing is saying you should just be more like me. Mm. It's not that I'm taking something specific and saying, I think this is wrong and this is why. Mm -hmm. It's me saying, well, I drive this way. You didn't do anything wrong, but I think you should drive more like me. It's like an imposition. That kind of yourself, thing. more or less. Yeah. And I don't, so I don't want to offer that kind of thing to somebody. Yeah. And I think the reality is, too, in this scenario, I could have because she asked. Yeah, she did. But... Without that, without that, like that request, yeah. When you offer that to somebody, I I don't think it usually oh, no. breeds results <laughs> because people if don't. Not the opposite. No, yeah. no, exactly. Yeah. People don't grow unless they want to. Yeah, I think that's like a really simple way of saying it. Mm -hmm. But like, if 
if I don't want to accept the advice you have for me, I'm not going to. Yeah. And it, I might resent you for giving it to me. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It may, you know, implant itself in some deep recess of my mind. Mm -hmm. And then later, when I reflect back on the mistake I made, I can say, oh, yeah, Zach was right. <laughs> I should have done it that way. <laughs> and I've done that plenty of times. Me too. But, but that's just the reality of it. When that happens, if I'm not asking for it, if I'm not wanting that change, yeah. people can't push it on me. And rather, especially just given the type of personality I have, when they try to, it's going to push me further away. Oh, yeah. Because you're pushing something at me that I don't want, and so mm -hmm. I'm backing away yeah. now from it. Even when you know what's good for you. It's yes. the fact that, you, that you're that you doing that. I didn't ask for it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, I agree with you. I'm, I'm like you in the way that I'm more likely to, to tell them to fuck right off. <laughs> you know, and that's just like this childish thing in me that even when I know it's good for me, it's like, right. because you fucking told me to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And... Well, the fact that she asked you that, I mean, that speaks volumes to, uh, to how she views you. And that's a, that's a really cool place to be in, man, first of all. Oh, I appreciated it, for yeah. sure. And and second of all, I think that that's it's probably one of the best ways to go about it is just to be like, I don't know. You know, I guess something that I've been learning about is that, you know, we all have a conscience, right? <clears throat> I hope, hopefully. Yeah. You know, yep, and mine's, hopefully. I've ignored mine probably too much at certain points says, you know, I'm, I'm sure isn't exactly the most uncommon, but I know what I should be doing usually. At least I know what I shouldn't be doing. Right. Yeah. And I know that whenever I consult that thing, whatever the fuck it is, I have some general direction. Even if it's not very precise. And something that I've been learning in, in the therapy side, not that I'm, I'm only, I'm not even, don't even have my associate's it, but I'm doing a lot of reading about it. Uh-huh. Yeah is that the best way to help people in this way is to be like, what do you think you should be doing? You know, because I have all these ideas, but they're through my own lens, mm -hmm. you know, and I can't possibly understand you in the period of uh, 45 minutes that we have to talk about it and what you need to be doing. So, you know, give me an inclination and then let's talk through it. You know, I think that's, little tangent here but i think that's one of the reasons that you know therapy is so great and why i want to do it so bad for people is because mm -hmm. i've experienced so much benefit from from what we're doing right now just articulated well articulated uh just conversation figuring out you know what's going on in our minds you and i and, and mapping out an unknown territory right here i think it just it helps us to see reality a little bit more clear as long as both people are honest, and I think that's the key, mm -hmm. as long as it's completely and totally honest and what you can do in a period of an hour's conversation, it's huge. Yeah. It's absolutely huge. I think mm -hmm. it's, it's mending, it's healing. It brings the world a little bit closer together. You know, and now I'm starting to sound cliche, but yeah. <laughs> hey, that's fine. I'm sure there's been a lot of cliches on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're cliche for a reason. So. Right. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. worth repeating. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think that there are, based on your observation, would you say there are a lot of people who are lacking that kind of conversation in their life? Ooh, that's a good question. And my origin, my gut knee-jerk reaction was a resounding yes. And I think it's only because I know that for so long I lacked that. I lacked that in a huge way. And the people that wanted to give it to me, I didn't want them to. Cause I was afraid, man. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nuance what I said with, yes, people are lacking that, but I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's no mystery why you don't face that kind of truth. For me to face the truths I had to, I literally had to be brought to my knees and given an ultimatum. It's, it's like you face this or you die. And that's it. And so I don't blame these people. Mm-hmm. I look around at people who, who could use more truth. And I can always use more truth. Always. But I think about like, I have no idea what they're going through. And maybe that little bit of truth that is just too much, maybe that could fucking break them. I mean, maybe they go home that night and they blow their fucking brains out. You know, it's like, in their own time. Maybe they'll never get there. God bless them. So, yeah. Everybody moves at their own pace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's all we can do. Yeah. That's been a lesson I've been trying to learn, is just recognizing um, when to talk and when not to. Yeah. Yeah. Which is important. I think, and it ironically that we're talking about like having good conversation yeah, I know, learning right? how not to say things yeah because so to back up for me i also was not having these conversations i was not pursuing growth in this way or understanding in this way until very recently in my life and for me i know the reason for that was fear i was afraid of people i was afraid of how they perceived me i was afraid of rejection from them even just on a social level of I don't really want to have this conversation, so go away. Of course. I didn't want that kind of thing. I feel that. And I assumed that that's the reaction that I would most often meet with. Mm. I made an assumption, though. That wasn't based on data. That wasn't based Mm. on me actually experimenting and trying these things. So when I did start experimenting and trying and saying, I'm just going to talk to people as much as I can. I'm going to have conversations with the baristas, and then I'm going to have conversations with fellow customers, and then I'm going to talk to people in the grocery store aisle, and I'm going to talk to people outside washing the windows. Like when I started actually testing that, I realized generally people are very happy to have honest, friendly interactions. You know, I was talking to... (laughs) I was talking to a guy on a plane recently who was okay. sitting next to me and talking about this same thing. And I think the wording he was it's used was, I think as long as you're not a fucking asshole, people <laughs> will be fine with you. I think that's, that's pretty smart. And on. yeah, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, I think it's true. Yeah. I think when, I think people can tell, even if it's not their strongest skill in the world, there's a certain intuition that you can, you can see when people are just BSing you mm-hmm. and when people are being honest with you. Um, and you don't care that much to indulge the conversation of somebody who you can tell is only doing it because they think they're supposed to or they're yeah. just kind of reading off a script in their brain from their previous interactions. They're just kind of fulfilling the expectation they have for, yeah. well, this is a conversation with my banker, so this is what I say. Yeah. People aren't really interested in having those conversations, no. which is why I try to like make that leap, get over that wall or knock that wall down with people gently, um, <laughs> yeah. hopefully, um, so that I can get past that and both of us can know this is just a conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to talk to you like a customer air quotes customer Mm -hmm. because you're paying me money to make a drink and i'm making the drink you're a person 
And so I want to treat you like a person. It doesn't matter what side of the counter we're on. Yeah. And that's something that has taken a lot of, of practice for me to just get used to and learn how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's difficult. Yeah, it's, it, it is. It is. And I think there's, there's a balance to it, too, because it's like, I think people default to these scripts because it's safe for right. them. You know, they, they're afraid of showing too much of themselves. And because like you said, there's, uh, there's fear of rejection. You know, and I, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, you go up and because it, it does happen. I feel like it does happen where you're talking to someone and, and well, maybe they're not having such a good day. And, you know, you're just trying to be friendly and and pretty much either intentionally or unintentionally, they're the biggest asshole you've met that week. You know, and I've done that to people, you know. And so it's kind of like trying to figure out for me, it was trying to figure out this balance of uh, well, how much of myself do I show to people? How much mm-hmm. of the persona do I lift off and, and allow to be to be here and present with you? And that's an, another thing is that it, it is it's it's being present, and it's not goal oriented conversation. Right. Yeah, I think those are two things that, uh-huh. that really uh, that give it this spontaneous flow and connection that's legitimate. That yeah, people thirst for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know I do. It's. Uh, Having real conversations with people, you just walk away feeling refreshed because it is. It's uh, it, it's this very surface level feeling of for for me, it, it's something akin to like this harmless love almost. You know, and that that's a new term for me mm-hmm. that I'm coming to understand better, especially with the sobriety. But but yeah, and so you're right. Yeah, and I like that you you said like how much you're learning how much of yourself to show i Mm -hmm. think to people yeah and that that's something i'm very much learning too because Mm -hmm. because i didn't have that before at all Mm -hmm. because i really wasn't jumping into those conversations i was holding pretty much everything back out of fear when i learned to start fighting against that and going the other direction i went full force in the other direction so I thought, I, yeah, I only <laughs> want to have deep conversations. Yes. I never wanted to say, how's your day been, man? Or, mm-hmm. dude, it's beautiful outside. Yeah. You know, I just didn't want to do that because it felt you. too surface level. Mm-hmm. And everybody's doing that. I want to do something different, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it took, uh, it took time for me to, to know I can pursue those deeper conversations, mm-hmm. but I shouldn't exclusively be doing that Mm -hmm. i need to be able to to read the room enough Mm -hmm. and read the person in front of me enough to know how far do i push and and the fact is i think most of us and this has been part of how i'm experimenting with this whole subject most of us are used to much too surface level being Mm -hmm. the norm Mm-hmm. So I think we could actually stand to go much deeper pretty much all the time. Mm-hmm. But given how shallow we are most of the time, that's not exactly. necessarily saying that much. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to figure out how far is that? Mm-hmm. And then when do I find that limit and I pull back? Or when do I notice up beforehand a shift. they have a limit there? I'm not going to push past that right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to. Of course. Because... It's not my timing. I'm not trying to force anything on them. Mm-hmm. This is not an agenda-driven conversation, right? This is it's just exploratory. Yeah, it's exploratory. I'm mm-hmm. trying to get to know somebody. I'm just trying, at the very least, 
to have an interaction with them that they walk away feeling safe and seen from. Of course. Because I don't want them to feel unseen because I obviously didn't care about them in the conversation. Mm -hmm. But I also don't want them to feel um, violated because I've asked questions that I have no business asking. Intruded upon or anything like that. Yeah. So that's that's something I'm learning too. I'm very much learning. I, I have a friend, Thomas, who I actually recorded an episode with oh, a little while ago. Wonderful. Who has been one of the primary inspirations for me in learning this hmm. because he's incredibly intentional in his relationships. He's a really good conversationalist, hmm. but he also knows when to just be goofy and not take things really seriously, not take hmm. things too far. So he's good at walking that line and recognizing when he can land on one side or the other. Oh, and that's a good skill to have. Yeah, yeah. that's something I'm trying to learn. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and again, it's just experimentation. Yeah. It's recognizing, hmm, this seems like a conversation. I, I don't have to take this seriously. We yeah. can just be goofy and then part ways because they're going to work and I'm working. We don't need to make this about each other's deep dark secrets or anything at all yeah could be about the weather at that point yeah and that might be enough so this is this isn't this is really interesting stuff i uh because there's there is there like you said it's walking a fine line of being goofy and having these deep conversations and i think that i think the goofy and the and the how's the weather talk and the very surface level stuff i think that can serve as a wonderful gateway towards these deeper things Given that the time frame permits and that this individual, you know, wants to do that, feels comfortable, is in a mm-hmm. place to have these conversations. And because I've I've also erred on the side of showing too much of myself. Right. And it's uh and it's usually funny and just being too wild at being too intense, asking way too deep of questions right. or and uh, mostly just freaking people the fuck out, you know. <laughs> just not sure what to do with that. Yeah, and it is. It's a it's a learning process, so that you know I'm not scaring people the fuck away, but also having conversation that, like you said, it's not robotic, and, and that's a fine fine line. And I find that uh, interestingly enough, sales was a great way for me to not that I'm great at it, but to hone that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think sales in general is an interesting and, and very wonderful field. Easily, easily misused. But yeah, but for fun. sure. Yeah, that's uh, a tangent. Anyways. I mean, a good salesman is most likely someone who's a good conversationalist. Yeah. They're good ways. at drawing somebody in and making them feel like they're best buds. Yeah. You know? Yes. That's a skill. Whether or not you agree with the examples you've seen of it being used. Of course. Because we've all seen the negative examples. Used car salesman. Yes. That's mm-hmm. that's the, the trope. The trope <laughs> like that everybody will use, the used car salesman. Yeah. For good reason. Personally, I would say the new car salesman is much oh, worse. <laughs> it's just a better refined used car salesman. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's a, uh, from, from what I, I see there, I did sales for a long time and I had to get out of it because uh, there was a shift in my life where mm-hmm. I went from being, quite honestly, the most dishonest person I knew to, to, to aiming at something better. And it was for selfish reasons because my life was horrible and <laughs> I fucking hated everything about it. So I knew that it was time to do something different. But yeah, I think that 
I know sales can be done correctly because I've interacted with salesmen that are uh, that are good people that are I'm not I'm not going to say using the tricks to get you to uh, buy something in particular, but but they know the questions to ask and they're still oriented at a place of truth. With mm-hmm. the goal being, how can I benefit you, you know, while also benefiting myself? And that's uh, I think that's a lot harder to do than to pull out the used carsman bullshit. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It requires good communication skills. Yeah. Which is huge. It's, it's not, it's not easy being no. a good communicator. No. It's more than just knowing how to speak well. Mm-hmm. It's also like being able to read a person and understand how are they perceiving what you're saying? Yeah. How do they feel about the words you're using? Definitely. How do you, how do you say the thing you want to say? Like what method do you use? for communicating this information. Mm. It's obviously not just, here's the information and that's it. Yeah. Nobody cares about that. Like I can go online and read about a car Mm -hmm. and now I have the data, Mm -hmm. but are you going to make me believe like, you're going to make me understand why I would enjoy the car. You're going to relay it into a way that's pertinent and interesting to me. Yes. Yeah. 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 That. It's funny you're talking about the uh, the way it's done, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the things I did learn doing a lot of sales, I learned a few things, but uh, the one of the best ways to come across to someone you don't know is with that. In my personal experience, is with completely flat affect, especially if you're looking to get something from it. Okay, explain that. So that means almost no variation of tone and voice. I'm just talking exactly like I am right now. Slowly, calmly, quietly. I'm not really smiling either. And that was something that was weird for me because when I started doing sales, I was smiling and energetic and I wanted to uh, make people happy. But I find that weirdly enough, well, I guess not that weirdly, people were distrusting because it was 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 forced. It was artificial. Okay, yeah. I was trying to force a mood upon people. And I found that whenever I was very flat and just straight across – people were able to trust that better because it didn't seem like I was trying trying so hard, mm-hmm. you know. That was something that, that occurred to me. It was very odd. It was very odd. But, uh, yeah, I've carried that with me in a lot of my other sales interactions, and it's worked amazingly well, except for in, uh, in more sparsely populated areas. For whatever reason, being smiley and happy <laughs> works better. But in, like, huh. densely populated areas, flat affect. Super weird. I don't know how to explain that, but it was so consistent, so consistent. You know, don't take this home, anybody, and try to. It's not a fucking book, you know. It's uh, <laughs> this, I could be totally wrong, but that has what that's been what's worked for me. Yeah, so. I could try and speculate on it right now on the show, but it requires so much silent thinking. <laughs> it would just be mean. such a bore. Yeah, I I think uh, now's not the time to digest all of that and think about why it would be. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'll give a briefing as to why I think it's. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Please do. I think that people in these more sparsely populated areas, I think they are. Uh, I think people in these areas are like that. They, they are always more friendly, and I know that as I move from, uh, and this is total speculation on my part from my experience, uh-huh. but I know that as I move from. Loosely populated areas to densely populated areas, people become less friendly. It's something about densely packing people together. It's just, I don't know, maybe there's more people to worry about. You know, and people are unpredictable things. 
you know, I have no fucking idea what the, what, you know, John's going to do on the street as I walk by. Hopefully he's going to be a civilized human being and just walk by and maybe smile, but he could, he could fucking stab me. You know, that could happen. And so, again, all speculation, but with all of these variables around, maybe it doesn't allow for so much... Uh, intense happiness. Maybe that makes you look naive. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's about safety. You know, maybe with less people around, you have to be so worried about it. You can just you can relax and you can be friendly. You know, you don't have fifty thousand other loose ends to figure out. It's like ten. Yeah. So yeah, you can you can be a little more loose. But again, I don't fucking know. I just know that people in New York are fucking mean, and people in Iowa <laughs> are kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it makes sense. Yeah. It, just given how many people you interact with, there's a higher likelihood of one of those interactions or more being a negative experience. Yes. Versus if you're in an area with far fewer people, mm-hmm. that's maybe, you know, you've just gone through your day and just have interacted with a dozen people and they were all having a good day too. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I feel good. Maybe. <laughs> you know, yeah. versus walking through the streets of New York City during rush hour. Oh, yeah. No and prick. there's, you know, thousands of people around you. Mm-hmm. Just percentage-wise, your odds of running into somebody who's had already a horrible day. Exactly. Uh, It's pretty high. Yeah. Horrible life. Yeah. 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 And they're still in New York City, and it's only getting worse, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Though I will say there's something to, I think, our preconceptions in a situation that mm -hmm. change a lot of that, too. Like, what am I expecting to find when I walk into this place? That's going to, I think, in my experience, that's affected a lot of the things I'm around. Certainly. In my experience, living my life and then also observing people, mm-hmm. I think, is a general rule of thumb. People who expect a bad day tend to have more d- bad days mm-hmm. than those who expect things to go well. Definitely. Because um, De- to me, I think, I think it's important for everybody to realize you can and will find whatever you're looking for. And the thing about life, one of the things about life is that there are negatives to every situation. There are also positives to every situation. Mm-hmm. Not saying, I'm, what I'm not saying is that there's nothing that is just a bad thing that happens. But nothing is completely isolated, just mm-hmm. like no man is an island, right? Mm-hmm. A single bad event will cause a lot of things to happen. And I think there's there's always going to be a positive to that. I had somebody bring up a really extreme example the other day to like <laughs> stump me, and I thought I'm not saying the thing was good, <laughs> but there's always positives. Oh, like you can yeah. find a positive, and you can find logical fallacy anywhere. So. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the thing about that then, the, what follows is you have people who are committed to finding the negative mm-hmm. in a situation, mm-hmm. or who are committed to proving their preconception about people or about the area that they're in of course there are people who are convinced that everybody in new york city is horrible and if they go to new york (laughs) city they're going to have a horrible experience because they're one they're going to be like giving off that energy and other people around them are going to perceive it and then nobody wants to be close to that guy right yeah because he's suspicious and he's going to bad look on his face yeah i just yeah. i don't like the look of that guy yeah, so you're yeah. kind of bringing that with you yeah. i'm bringing that with me if, if that's my expectation yeah 
And two, I'm going to just highlight in my brain all of the negatives that I can see mm-hmm. while ignoring all the positives because I can't focus on both at the same time. Yeah. Like just I, I can notice them all and then I can choose what to focus on. Yeah. So me as, a, I think, a realistic optimist, I recognize these negatives and positives in things mm-hmm. and I recognize that focusing on the negatives doesn't do me any favors. It doesn't do anything. Noticing them is important. Ignoring them also doesn't do me any favors because then I'm living in ignorance. Mm -hmm. Knowledge is important. Having awareness is important. But focusing on those negatives is just going to wear me out. Like just, just, I mean, that's a pretty logical conclusion to come from, Mm -hmm. to come to. If I'm always thinking about the bad stuff going on, I'm not going to be having a good day. I would rather recognize there's good and bad but i want to keep the good things at the forefront of my mind because that's going to build me up and then by extension like we were talking about earlier other people are going to be built up too i'm going Mm -hmm. to create a better environment around me be just through the result just as a result of being more positive (laughs) exactly (laughs) which is not about again living in ignorance it's about choosing what you focus on it's i i liked what a lot of good stuff there. It takes me a while to unpack things. I'm a slow thinker and slow. I said talker. a lot of stuff too. You did, you did. <laughs> but it was a lot of good stuff. So the the thing about looking at reality and seeing it kind of for what it is, you know, because there are and that's difficult, incredibly, almost impossible, right? Because who is truly objective? Well right. fucking nobody if you get down to it. We're all seeing through our lens. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's got its own, you know, wrinkles and distortions, but mm-hmm. The uh, your closest, the closest you can get to as far as uh, approximating reality, I think the better off it does you. Like you said, you know, if you're only focusing on the good things, to the uh, expense of not seeing, you know, what's right in front of your fucking face. Oh, the sun is shining and my belly's full. It's like, oh, well, also you're homeless. And you're dying of infectious disease. You know, like that doesn't help you. That's an extreme example, right. obviously. Mm-hmm. Makes the point, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, like, you know, the other extremes, you know, living in a million-dollar house with a wonderful family, and all you can think about is how, you know, your car is in the right color, some crazy shit like that. Mm-hmm. And, and these are really elementary, but I guess what I'm getting at is uh, I think one of the antidotes is to all of that is truth, you know, and how close can you actually get to seeing what is actually in front of you, and then what can you do with that? And I think that's been one of the uh, one of the biggest things in my life. It's funny that as you were talking about our perception, kind of uh, will will change how we see these things. Because after I said the thing about New York City, but it being pricks, I was like, well, well what does that say about me? <laughs> it, it says a fair amount about me because I don't like large crowds. You know, it's not being around them. It's, I'm also uh, I'm not a big fan of. Big cities. I feel not, you. I grew up outside of Chicago. Ah. I, um, it's not a city I really enjoy. Chirac. No, I'm just joking. That, that is what people say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's uh-huh. what people say. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and so that's one of the things I know that it's a, it's a big stumbling place for me because I have people all the time. Well, people all the time. My meemaw who lives with me, my grandmother, and uh, my girlfriend. Everyone's like, just so serious all the time. Stop being so serious, you know. And we have long talks about that. It's uh, it's she's she's wonderful for for lightening me up. But uh, yeah, 
Yeah, there, there's a lot to be said about one, seeing it for what it is, but then also what you said, you know, because what you focus on, it expands. Mm-hmm. And so if you're focusing on something beautiful, you know, if we're, if we're focusing not on the fact that it's kind of sunny and dreary outside, but that we uh, we live in America and we have all the opportunity at, at hand, it's like, well, it'll probably make you feel a little bit better. Right. You know, but so what's the balance to that? I've got no fucking idea. <laughs> but, you know, hopefully I'll figure it out one day. Yeah. Anyways. So we'll back up, we'll pause, and we'll come back around to all okay. this stuff, of course. Yeah. I'm a rambler, uh, so. <laughs> that's what this show is for. It's yeah. for rambling. Um, are you from Arkansas? Mm-hmm. Okay. You've uh, you've obviously moved around a little bit, though. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Born and raised. Uh, born and born raised in here in Arkansas. Fayetteville, Washington Regional, I think. Okay. 8 a.m., not that anybody cares or asks. Wow, you even I, know the time. Yeah, I think I asked, my, I think my mom told me once, it just stuck in my mind. Mm-hmm. And then it was reinforced by some I don't know girls like to do horoscope shit so they ask but uh okay yeah <laughs> that's yeah it is what it is and uh so yeah then I've lived mostly here in Rogers Bittenville Centerton area okay yeah vast majority of my life yeah uh whenever I was 24 I decided to move to Austin Texas and open up a gym yeah that was uh, that was a wonderful experience. I had it open for about a year. It was called Strength Camp Pflugerville. I uh, it was kind of my dream, and I did that for a year. But I realized in whenever I was doing it that this was close to what I wanted. Like I wanted to be in an environment where I was helping people, mm-hmm. you know, become better. But it wasn't as uh, it was, I wasn't getting as deep as I'd like to with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like you can you can change someone's physical body over the course of you know a few months, but but if you don't go in and change the patterns that are held emotionally or uh, you know intellectually behaviorally, then what you haven't done much because they'll probably fall back into the same patterns unless you've addressed it. And I was kind of interested in psychology since I was eighteen, so but I knew I didn't want to do the gym thing. I wasn't sure that I wanted to do psychology. But uh, I closed the gym after a year, and I did some sales stuff. And this was when my addiction got really bad, too, for the second time in my life. And, uh, and yeah, so I kind of bounced around different sales jobs and uh, became a really good salesman, but at the detriment of my moral fiber. Hmm. I definitely, I lied, I cheated, I said whatever it is that I had to to, to get the desired effect. And uh, this, in turn, made me feel worse about myself because you can't turn off a conscience, you know, even when it's quiet as mine. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, I say quiet, it screams at me. But I did that for a long time. I was uh, 25. I did that to about 26. And slowly over the years, I've been using more and more. And uh, then I got to this place where, well, I guess... I guess now we're talking about the addiction and stuff. I think, well, <laughs> it's going to come up at some point. It's a pretty big aspect of my life. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, gym thing, closed the gym, did sales for a year. Things got worse and worse and worse. I worked for a charity there for a while. It was a total fucking scam. And uh, and about halfway through, I found out it was a scam. But I kept working for them because I was getting paid, man. Uh-huh. And that was, you know, that was, that was a big sin of mine. And, you know, I hope... I hope I'll be offered redemption for that in the long term. But I definitely used uh, the uh, 
I use stories of bullied and suicidal children to, to pad my own pockets, you know, and I just played it off as, you know, everybody else in this company is doing it too. But yeah, that was one of the things that pushed me pretty far down into that hole. I bet. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to look at yourself in the mirror when you do things like that, for damn sure. And then, uh, and then there was a period of time where I sold insurance, life insurance. I finally got so sick of myself doing the, the charity thing that I you know, just told my boss I couldn't do it anymore. And then I started selling life insurance, but I took all the same skills and mindsets there. You know, I wasn't cheating people out of their money by essentially selling stories of dead children. I was uh, selling you a story of you're, you're going to save your, fly, your, uh, your family after you pass with this life insurance policy. Your wife and kids won't go hungry. Uh, your kids will still be able to go to college. And, and maybe, maybe you're wrong for not doing it, which was, it was all emotional tactics and really elementary, you know, manipulation. And uh, ha at least half the people, if not more, saw through that because, you know, I think, I think a lot of people are brighter than we give them credit for. At least I used to give them credit for. But uh, still, I got away with it enough. And I actually... I did well in the insurance game. Uh, I made a lot of money. And I got to the end of this road where I realized that I can have all the money in the world. But if I'm not living truthfully or doing something meaningful, then, well, I'd rather be fucking dead. And fast forward and I get to uh, the Pacific Northwest. I'm actually visiting a buddy up there for, uh, for Thanksgiving. This was when I was 26. So this is... Uh, well, this was exactly 14 months ago. I remember I'm sitting in my car, and he's on the Pacific Northwest, so I'm looking out over the Pacific Ocean. It's absolutely beautiful. I can see Canada on my right side. I'm looking at the Pacific Ocean in this parking lot. I, uh, of course, marijuana is legal there, so I'm sitting in my car drinking a, uh, it's like a 40-ounce beer and smoking some extremely potent marijuana. I'm thinking that, you know what? If this is God's gift to me, then he can have it back. I, I don't see the point. You know, why would I continue to live like this? If life is this painful and there's nothing else really in it, then, well, then I'm going to kill myself and that's going to be it. So I planned out a day. At the time, it was, no, it was uh, Thanksgiving-ish. It was like, what is that, like November 21st around there. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, my best friend's birthday, his name's Tyler Jordan. I've known him since I was seven years old. I remember playing Halo with him and getting all sorts of trouble growing up. His birthday's on November 28th. I said, you know what? I'm going to kill myself on November 29th. Because, one, I'm going to be in the Pacific Northwest until November 28th, and I want to kill myself and, you know, and my buddy like deal with that like that's a dick move and I also want to kill myself on my best friend's birthday because that's also a huge dick move so I had the day as November 29th I was gonna I was gonna sit down in my bathtub with a knife and just go to sleep so I was talking to a therapist at that point and I told her I was like hey you know this has been great like with you thank you but I'm not gonna do this anymore I'm fucking done you know packing my bags I'm going home she said, okay, you can do that. But there's one thing you haven't tried yet. It's Alcoholics Anonymous. And you know what? You don't really have anything to lose here. So why not? I thought, you know what? Why the fuck not? 
you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I didn't expect anything. I've been an alcoholics and honest before when I was 18. So I've been having addiction stuff since I was 14. We'll rewind the clock and talk about that too, if you'd like. Uh, so I got on the phone with this guy named David. David is an angel, a literal angel. David's a, a clinical psychologist in Austin. He's the thing I'm aspiring to be, essentially. And uh, we talked for a couple of hours that first time. And it was one of the first times in my life that I truly felt heard and recognized that, that my problems and my pain, it wasn't just this the cold result of this universal equation of this is life and that's it. You're just going to suffer. It lifted for a moment. I thought, okay, what does this guy have? The fuck is he doing that maybe I can get a piece of? So, you know, no one, I don't think anyone really wants to die. Even at that point, I didn't want to die. But I, you know, I didn't see any other way out. And that's very common with suicidal uh, ideation, from what I understand. So, I was after that conversation, I went and did an AA meeting. It was underwhelming. Uh, I, I did appreciate the people in there. It's funny. Whenever we talked on the phone, me and David, he thought I was uh, closer to like 45 or 50 years old. And, uh, you know, and... What he did is he sent me to a group, a virtual group, and everyone in the room was 60-something years old. <laughs> and uh, it was, uh, it actually turned out to be the best thing that could have happened. So I'm going to be honest. I'm not one to listen to people my own age group. It's like, I'm your age. I'm full of shit, so I assume you're full of shit, too. So why should I listen to you, you know? Uh -huh. <laughs> so I listened to these people. It was underwhelming, but I was also in a bad place. They said things that they did that resonated with me and I needed to hear. And it was that night after talking to him and going to my first AA meeting virtually, I was listening to a thing on Jordan Peterson or him talk about suicide. And these words stuck out. He, he had a colleague long ago who was eccentric and he worked in a prison. And anyways, something that this guy would say to the, the prisoners in this maximum security penitentiary was, you can always kill yourself tomorrow. And that stuck like glue, man. I was, that really resonated. So I was like, okay, you know what? If this doesn't work out, I can. I, mean, I can drive my fucking car into the river tomorrow. Or I can sit down in that bathroom and, and take the long nap. So I said, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll see what this AA thing's about. Maybe there's something here. I'll try this God thing out again, too. Yeah, it didn't work so well the first time, but. Maybe there's something I can do different. And then slowly and painfully, it was probably the worst year of my fucking life, you know, after I got sober. Because then it's like, there's everything, there's all the problems, but you don't have the thing to take it away anymore. Mm -hmm. Things got better. I started orienting myself at truth, even when it was the last thing that I wanted to do. And I mean, it, I took my sweet fucking time about it too, you know, because not like... Not like I was this overly courageous person in that regard. From the start, it was uh, difficult, and I made it even harder just being, well, having an enormous amount of defects. But I started to work through it, and we are 14 months into sobriety now. And 
I, I still don't understand it. Why my life has gotten so much better, but I'm not, I don't really question it that much anymore. Anyways, it worked. Hmm. It's like, why, why the fuck? There's like a logical thing. Like I lie to this person. I get this thing. Why doesn't that make me happy? Whereas I tell the truth to this person, I don't get the thing that I wanted, but things work out way better. And to me, that's evidence of this transcendent quality of life. Like there's got to be something more. I'm a, I'm a ruthlessly logical and efficient person. So much so that, you know, it's regular conversations with people that, you know, maybe you should relax a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> and, you know, my, my father was ruthlessly efficient as well. So it still doesn't make sense as to why things get better when I tell the truth and I live and act as though God exists. Still makes no sense to me. But I'm not supposed to understand is the final conclusion I came to. Hmm. I'm just supposed to do it and things get better on their own accord. And that's good enough. So, and you asked me where I live. And I <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah. I love when I can just ask a little question like that. And it just, just like open a can of soda. Yeah. And it's just, or worms. <laughs> yeah. Now, soda's more pleasant. That, right. was, that was good. There was All right. Good stuff in there. All right. <laughs> I feel weird too when I start taking a note on something. I'm time stamping. <laughs> and um, no, no, that's that's actually that's that's a smart. Then, thing. then you finish talking, and there's just silence, and the audience is like, "What's going on?" <laughs> My gigantic audience, you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> probably grows every day, right? You know, I feel yeah. like it. It's. I think. I could go into all sorts of practical reasons why this is a better time for me to be doing this than the first go around. Of course, but. Whatever the reason is, people seem to be gravitating more toward this now, hmm. and I'm I'm enjoying it so much more now. The, hmm. When I say it, I'm talking about this podcast and what it is. Um, I'm more excited about the conversations. Hmm. Maybe a big part of it is just that I'm not pushing an agenda on it. Like I was hmm. telling you before we recorded, I'm not coming into this trying to get any specific thing out of it. I'm having a conversation with somebody. I'm getting to know your story and learning from you. I'm getting to share things from my story too and things I've learned. And beyond that, people listening, a potential infinite number of people mm -hmm. get to listen and also learn yeah. and just hopefully be inspired to have conversations too and yeah. recognize that, whoa, a conversation, mutual, honest communication can change the world and does because yeah. like we were talking about earlier, it changes mm -hmm. me, which changes my neighbor, which changes the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Like that's mm -hmm. huge. And it is, it's a cliche, but it's super true. Yes. Um, yes. I worked for Starbucks when I first moved here and I'm sorry. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> At times I was too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was fortunate to work under wonderful managers. Okay. Um, I tell everybody, I said, Starbucks can be an awesome job. Mm -hmm. If your store manager is great, you're going to have a good time. Mm -hmm. If your store manager sucks, you're probably going to hate your job. And that's just, I mean, you can say that probably about yeah, most yeah, things. Yeah, if yeah. your boss is awful, you're probably not going to like your job. I was fortunate that I not only worked with good people, but I can actually say about the managers over me that I'm friends with them to this day. Mm. Um, 
my first manager who essentially hired me when I was homeless, hmm. um, Cole. I spent uh, Christmas with them a couple years ago and then Thanksgiving with them just this past year, 2021. That's awesome. I love their family, love their kids. Um, just a beautiful, beautiful family. I'm very fortunate with who I ended up working under. Hmm. And I don't remember if this was, this is probably a Starbucks thing, but it didn't necessarily play out everywhere. But because of who I worked with, who I worked for, it actually did. Hmm. Um, but they would say um, something like changing the world one cup, one store, one neighborhood at a time. Mm. And I loved mm. the fact that I worked for somebody who actually believed that he could do that. It's mm. um, powerful. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Cole would say that about his job. People would, I would ask him, or other coworkers would ask him about, like it, how stressful it is, or have all these problems with the job. He would say, "We get to serve hundreds of people every day. That's hundreds of people whose lives we get to impact every day. Mm. Like ours may be the only smile they see today. Wow, make it a real one. Yeah. That was huge for me moving here." coming from a very different place and restarting life in Arkansas and getting to step into that environment, mm-hmm. working for a job where that was now what I was doing, Yeah, where I also had somebody where not only did I know deep down that's who I should be, that's that's what I should be doing, Yeah, but also I had people above me modeling that for me mm-hmm. and believing in it strongly. So I had the opportunity to actually see that happen. Yeah. Like... That's one person at a time. You, you don't know how much difference a conversation makes for people. Yeah. Like you were getting at earlier. It could be that the way that I interact with this person is the last time they choose to speak to anybody. Yeah. I, I could be that. And not to put unnecessary pressure on us and say, well, I'm responsible for everybody. Of course. But recognizing I am impactful to everybody. Either in a negative or a positive way, probably. You, you could make arguments about, well, there are interactions that are neutral. That's an and, interesting concept. If yeah. I, if you don't mind if I expand. A no, bit. I would love for you to. I was kind of losing my train of thought anyways. <laughs> I, I, yeah, let, talk to sometimes that. Sometimes I interrupt it. I, I try not to. So. Now I can tell you're, you're excited to talk yeah. about something like that. You're, so you're in school for psychology. I right? am. Right. Okay. I am. But and what's so funny is that most of what I talk about here, I learned watching Jordan Peterson lectures. Uh, lectures. Good. I just think good he's, teacher goes a long way. Yeah, dude. He mm-hmm. I, and it, it resonates with me. And and the thing about I like what you said about not putting too much unnecessary pressure on people because that is a lot of pressure, and you can very easily, literally fold and compact yourself into a, a furious, anxious ball of um, God knows what just by doing all that pressure if you're not ready mm-hmm. for it. But yeah. one of the things he talks about is. Uh, Taking responsibility and to the amount that you can take responsibility for, I mean, as much as you can, that's going to directly impact how meaningful your life is. And the more meaningful your life is, that is going to, that is like how much buffer you have against the inevitable tragedies that befall us. And so it's almost like, it's kind of like the more you can take responsibility for or, hmm, see, I don't want to speak out of turn here because this mm-hmm. is this is a this is a big one. The world is listening. 
The world is listening. <laughs> Careful. So at least a couple dozen people. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> Microcosm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's to the degree that you can take responsibility for the things in your life, that is the degree to which things will be meaningful. And if everything is meaningful all the time, that is an enormous amount of responsibility. Hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. If everything you do has meaning, then holy shit. Like literally every interaction counts. And, and that is, that's an enormous amount of pressure. But I think the degree to which we can do that the more positive an impact we can have on those around us. And, and like, like, you know, Cole said, it's one cup, it's one store, it's, you know, one neighborhood at a time. I think it can have this reverberating effect that is so powerful that we don't understand it. In, uh, in Buddhism, it's called Nidra's web. At least that's how I've heard it referred to. Okay. It's called Nidra's web. Any hardcore Buddhist out there, you know, <laughs> Don't roast me for this. I'm totally <laughs> wrong, but uh, studied a little, little bit in uh, in a minimum security penitentiary I went to. That's a good story too. But uh, Nidra's web is essentially like everything through time and space is connected on this web thing. So I mean, you touch a web at any point, and it sends the smallest vibration straight across it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the butterfly effect. You kill a butterfly now, what the fuck happens in the future? And it's kind of the same thing. But everything has everything has meaning. And that is a lot to think about. I think it might almost be too much to think about, at least in the beginning. I know that whenever I try to live that way, I'm going to be honest, at least in my current state, if I try to live that way, I burn out. So it's like, what's the balance? You know, how do you live a meaningful life that doesn't destroy you? And I think, I think about like those that have lived only a meaningful life and not to get too religious on people who are, and I'm not even a traditional Christian, but you look at the actual story of Jesus Christ, of someone who was the perfect man, living in that way, literally killed him by the age of 30-something. He lived to his demise. There's many other factors there, but but yeah. So what's the balance? Can we try to be perfect? Is you know, How feasible is that, even if it is for the best possible aim? You know, what, what's the devil's advocate side of this? What's realistic? Mm-hmm. So, you know, now I'm just asking a bunch of questions. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even sure. <laughs> well, then you raised something. You raised a, a topic that I'll, I want to dive into mm-hmm. because that's what we do on this, this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask what you do to find that balance for you. Mm. But going at it a different way, we'll talk about religion and Mm. spirituality Mm -hmm. either we can start with i guess where did that where did you find that in a real way okay that's a great fucking question uh well i i think it's time for another story because i can't tell this one without context really okay so Everybody has problems, right? Mm-hmm. Growing up, things were difficult, odd. Addiction in the family, divorced parents. Uh, I had a great father, and my mother tried. But, you know, she has addiction problems. So growing up, they, they got at each other a lot. And I think 
my mother didn't want to see my father. I'm, I think he's kind of despite him a little bit. So I spent a lot of time in my mother's house and things got darker and darker and darker. Fast forward to the point of me being 14. They divorced when I was four, tried again when I was seven. And then there was just a long period of time where I got hardly got to see my dad until I think I was about 15. And uh, during that period of time, things got really intense. I started getting addicted to drugs and alcohol. And uh, I think at the age of 14, I completely renounced my faith in Christianity because I'd grown up a Christian and all these things. And okay. I remember I was sitting in my room. I remember the exact night sitting in my room, reading this purple NIV adventure Bible for teenagers. It was a cool little Bible, man. It was great. I think I have seen the exact one you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's got like some dude climbing a mountain on it or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. think we had one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a wonderful text. It's ex- extremely accessible. You know, I still have it. Uh, I remember I was reading this, and things were so dark, and I, I didn't have the context to understand some things. I just, I just looked at it a little bit too coldly and logically without diving into the uh the stories allegorically what they mean i just looked at it very literally and i was like well i don't fucking believe any of this you know what's the fucking point here what's the deal god isn't here in my life anymore so i'm gonna do my own thing and that's where that night is when i decided i'd be an atheist and so it was very intense after that things got way worse 14 to 20 so there was four years there where i was just getting fucking hammered i mean wrecked all the time anything i can get my hands on uh any substance it didn't matter i i built a reputation in high school for the guy that likes to party but you know no one really knew i think they knew on a deep level that it was because i had a problem but you know, at that point in time, it's just like, yeah, Zach gets fucked up all the time. And then come 18, I graduate high school, you know, miracle, <laughs> given my state during high school. And uh, I joined the military. And I was like, all right, I'm going to clean my life up. You know, that's kind of what I was thinking. I'm going to go do things. I'm going to go to college. And uh, it's about two months before I went to basic. I was like, I'm going to have one last hurrah buddy of mine who was uh, I'm not gonna mention his name here but let's just see him and I together was like it was like fire and gasoline man he was just as crazy as I was we were taking uh, Xanax and drinking uh, Jim Bean and I remember the last thing I remember as I remember taking 11 of these little Xanax pills and then tipping a bottle of whiskey just straight up into the air and I'm chugging it and the next thing, and I have two little blips of memory, but I'll go over that in a second. The next thing I remember, I'm waking up in Benton County. And what the fuck? Apparently, I had, uh, we'd blacked out at my mom's house, or at least I had. He said he remembered parts of this. I blacked out at my mom's house, and he was like, hey, you want to go find more pills? And apparently, I was like, yeah. So we hopped in my rental car, and we drove to these people's house that he knew. I think it was like his girlfriend's grandparents house or something and he went to key the door with his id you know to unlock it and apparently it was already unlocked and he dropped his id right there at the scene and uh apparently we walk in and we're flipping lights on like we own the fucking place and we go into this bathroom where apparently the pills were on the first level and 
he's like we're in there making a ruckus and he spills all these pills some sort of opiate on the ground and and I was like there next to him falling in and out of fucking consciousness and the one of the lady the lady that owns the house comes downstairs and she just like gets to the doorway and it's like what the fuck are you guys doing you know because she she knew him and he said that I just stood straight up and looked at her and said I'm sorry and then I just walked out of the house and that was and that was that he was like all right I guess we're leaving now so hmm. he followed me and uh we got in my rental car and we're driving I think in Bentonville somewhere in Centerton I don't remember any of it but apparently I was going about 60 miles an hour on this road and the speed limit was about 30 and then I lost control and I I went through this barbed wire fence and we kind of like we essentially uh we like ramped off a fucking hill and our vehicle landed some distance into this field and I remember seeing a picture of it later on and we accordion the fucking thing the the fucking uh, front and back ends were totally smashed. And here comes one of the things that I do remember from that night. I remember sitting in this car and just like very vaguely looking around and being in the middle of this field. I think I can see fucking cows. And all of a sudden I hear screaming, just screaming. <laughs> I looked down at my phone and I'd called my mom, and I had told her what had happened, and she was laying into me. Oh, man. <laughs> and so, massively inebriated, Zach hangs the phone up, and I fall back out unconscious. Uh-huh. The next thing I remember is I'm being walked to a car, you know, my hands behind my back, and there was a police officer taking me to the front of his vehicle because they'd found us. This was a few hours later. And he said, you got any weapons on you, son? I said, nope. Oh, wait. And without saying anything, doing anything, I just uh, I just reached for this knife on my belt loop. Just as quick for as fucked up as I was. And I, I grabbed it, and I thumped it down on the hood of his car. And that was perceived aggressively as it probably should have been. And he grabbed me by the shoulder and the back, and he just, like, slammed me down on the hood of that car. Because, well, it's, it's his job. I would have done the same thing. Uh-huh. I went out again. And uh, the next thing I remember is I was standing in front of this counter at Benton County, and there was this, uh, this big black dude behind the counter in the guard uniform, and and I just remember looking at this piece of paper that he slid across to me as I'm kind of coming to, and it has my picture, my full name, uh, residential burglary, and then class Y felony, and I had to sign it. I just looked at him, I said what is going on? And he said, you need to sign that paper and sit down. I said, okay. Signed it, sat down. The next 17 hours were pretty, uh, 17-ish hours, really fa- uh, hazy. Because I was still on a lot of drugs and alcohol. And uh, I came to, I was walking into the cell block. It was I think it's D-blocking in Benton County. is the one with all the felons. And as I'm walking through this cell block, I hear uh, everyone's on lockdown. I hear fresh meat, fresh meat, just like the shit you hear in the fucking movies. Still pretty fucked up. I was afraid, but not as afraid as I should have been. And I get to my cell and I pass out. I come to the next day and we're out in the cell block. And, you know, no one's really fucking with people in there. Well, they do, but you have to kind of give them a reason. And if you stand your ground, you're fine. 
remember talking to my buddy who was in there with me. He told me everything that happened. And I was just fucking flabbergasted, man. And so talked to my dad. He let me stay in there until Christmas Eve. And he bailed me out on Christmas Eve. He's a good dad. Even though I should have stayed in there. And uh, so I waited a year for the court proceedings. And then I got sentenced to, uh, it was nine months in a minimum security prison called RPF. I'm sure people are familiar with that if they know anything about the system. Texarkana, it's technically not even really like prison, you know. It's like, it's supposed to be rehabilitative, but, you know, there's still fights and shit. And, you know, there's still barbed wire and fucking weird uniforms. But, so I go in there after, uh, it was after 20 months. So it took a year to get sentenced. And then, (laughs) this is really fucked up. They lost my paperwork for eight whole months. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I called in there every Monday (laughs) for eight months. And uh, after eight months, I was like, yo, I called in at a nod on a Monday. And I was like, hey, what the fuck is going on? You know, I want to get this over with. You know, I'm on house arrest at this point. Okay. Just waiting. And they're like, oh, give us a second. So they go back. And I'm on hold for like five minutes. And this lady comes on and it's kind of like, oh, we fucked up. You know, uh, we just, uh, we didn't process your paperwork, you know. And I'm like, what? I've been sitting here for like as long as my <laughs> sentence. Like, what the fuck? Like, Dwight. And this is like time served. I'm like, oh, certainly not. No, you're going in. <laughs> mm. like, God damn it. But, uh, well, it was just desserts. So that's what I will say about that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I go in there. And uh, it's minimum security, so it's not crazy. You know, the worst part is not being around your family and being given a number. You know, it's dehumanizing. But, well, you know, don't break the fucking law, right? Uh but yeah, I was in there for about four and a half months, and and I really wasn't planning on changing much. You know, I was still kind of a fucking punk. At this point, in that eight months, I'd been working out before I went in, so now I was a punk with some muscle, so I thought it was hot shit. So I'm in there for about four and a half months, and uh, I'll preface this part. Was saying the visitation happened every once in a while for me because my uh, maybe like once a month because this is in Texarkana and they all lived in Northwest Arkansas. It's like five six hour drive. Okay, and uh, so it was about four and a half months in, and it was visitation day, and I was waiting to get my visitor, and they usually come at nine a.m. But nine a.m. came and passed, and then it was ten a.m. and then it was eleven a.m. And then one of the, they usually call your name on this intercom, like a Crabtree report to visitation. But instead, this uh, this dude that worked like a trustee, more or less, who worked in the office, and he came to the door and he was like, hey, man, the lieutenant needs to see you. And that's always a bad thing. The lieutenant needs to see you. You fucked up. So I was like, oh, I don't even know what I did. And sometimes in there, you just get, like, disciplinary action for almost a fucking reason, you know. And it's still shady, but... I went down there and I knew something was up and I got into this room and it was my mom, my sister, the chaplain, and the lieutenant. And I knew exactly what was happening. As I walked in and I saw all those people, I just said, what happened? And I think it was my mom just told me that, Zach, your father has died. And... Me and my dad, we were like, man, we were best friends, man. I got the time I did get to spend with him. We were so close in personality. And it was a, uh, he was my rock, man. 
was, he'd done so much for me and was, was always there when I needed him. And he was that one thing in my life, that, that immutable uh, factor, this, this un, unshakable force. Yeah. But I know that that weekend he was going to have a routine surgery for uh, gastric bypass. He had a lot of back problems. He gained a lot of weight. It was a, it was a last-ditch effort to lose weight so he can get healthy again. But for a gastric bypass, it's like one in a thousand chance that you're going to uh, die. Hmm. And, well, complications. And he actually died in his room there. Not in the hospital room, but in his room at the house. And, uh, yeah, they told me that. And this part's, you know, it's kind of raw. I remember, I don't remember. I just remember kind of uh, all of a sudden being in the corner of the room screaming the word no. And then the chaplain was, he was yelling at me. He was like, Zach, you have to calm down or they're going to take you away. And those words got through to me and I kind of, you know, it was like shaking. It was uh, it was pretty much the worst thing that I could imagine at that point. And that, that had broken me. It had broken me so entirely. That over the course of the next couple of weeks, I just I just moped around. I didn't I didn't know what you know, my my framework for perceiving reality had com- been completely knocked loose. I was not Zach anymore. I didn't know what I was or where I was or who I was or what I was. And the chaplain, him and I had had conversations about meditation and spirituality before, but he he took mercy on me. He gave me a job in the, in the as a chaplain's assistant along with another dude that I was really close friends with in there. And uh, slowly him and I started talking about, you know, spirituality and religion. And he introduced me to Buddhism and uh, Taoism, because at that point I wasn't ready for the the regular Judeo-Christian types of uh, religion. And he he spent a lot of time with me. We read this book called Buddhism Plain and Simple. It was my first look at Buddhism. Wonderful book, book. I highly recommend it. But that didn't really do it for me, so he broke out the Tao Te Ching, which is a Taoism's text, more or less, written by Lao Tzu, or who we think is a collection of people that have been brought together and just called Lao Tzu. And uh, that was my first taste of God that I really understood that resonated with me. And he went, he, me and him, with this fucking little book that was so dense and complex and hard to get into over the course of months, really dove into it. And I understood what Taoism was and what Tao was. And so that was wonderful. I was already meditating almost every day at this point. I started whenever I first got convicted because I couldn't drink or smoke after I cut uh, the sentence and I was having anxiety attacks. So that helped out. So now I'm studying Taoism and doing meditation with a spiritual emphasis. And then I get out of prison and the world opens up, man. It was, that was the first way that I came to know God. And I didn't really need addiction counseling at that point. I had a very uh, strong connection with this. So things were wonderful. I uh, was doing personal training and stuff and and uh, it formulated in my mind that I wanted to own a gym. So that's what I went and did. But uh, slowly I started going back to drink and smoke. Slowly. And I slowly started to fall out of the Taoism thing and meditation. And and then and then you 
and then that brings us to where I was uh, owning the gym and stopping owning the gym and then, you know, the addiction stuff. But yeah, so that was the first taste I got of God. And then I came to, and then I came to God through AA. And that has stuck with me. I think the reason the Christian religion or the Judeo-Christian religions, you know, Islam, Judaism, all of these, I think they're so popular because it's like, so I don't want to misword anything on this one. I think these are like the closest approximations to some of the best instructions for living life in general that we've ever come across. And these texts are usually thousands upon thousands, I mean, thousands of years old, a couple thousand years old, if not more. And, and they've stayed with us. They, they've outlasted many civilizations. These books are more permanent than cement, concrete, stone, all of them. It's like, well, why? Well, I think because it resonates so purely. And if we take these tenets and we, and we live by them as closely as we can, but not literally a lot of cases, because I know in Leviticus it says, don't fuck guys. And it's like, all right, I get it. Well, maybe in their time period that had other connotations or nuances that we don't understand. But it's like, for the most part, you know, if you take these stories and you look at them as metaphors and allegorical, uh, then you can you can discern a lot of wisdom, and it's actually extremely useful. And a lot of it's about like being honest and truthful, and living in a way that is oriented as something higher. And and yeah, I think that's one of the reasons they're so useful. And, and I think that's it's really resonated with me because I can look at it. And I can I can still I can apply the, this uh, this ruthless logical process too and it's like no that that makes sense it makes sense that we should be honest because whenever i'm not honest whenever the people i know are not honest and doing the right thing and aimed at something higher life goes to hell not only for them but those around them and it's so consistent that it cannot be ignored and and why is it that these books offer the best explanation so that was not your question. <laughs> I mean, it kind of was. Okay. That was your response to it, for sure. Yeah. And, and so things I do on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, I pray. I get down on both knees and I you know, fold my hands and bow my head and I, I pray to God, even though I don't believe in God in the most traditional sense, you know, or I'm not even sure what the traditional sense means, but I have my own conceptions. And then I, uh, I read one verse or one chapter of the Bible. I just started doing that about six months ago, ish, or four months ago. So far, I'm at uh, I'm in Numbers. I go on and off sometimes. The book of Numbers is where I'm at right now. There's a lot of fucking chapters in the Bible, man. Like, holy shit, this is a long book. It's going to yeah. take me years to get through it. And uh, Especially one a day. One a day, <laughs> yeah. It's going to take me a minute. But yeah. it's good. It's a morning read, you know. Uh -huh. so that's kind of what I need. I also meditate. I've been doing that for years now. It's, uh, it's this habit that transforms habits, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Yeah, I agree. And uh, then I journal. I journal very consistently. That helps me to articulate myself very well. It uh, helps me process things. It helps make sense. It's kind of like how talking is good. It's an articulation of one's thoughts. Formalized thinking is what Jordan Peterson calls it. But yeah, these are the things that I do. And also uh, service. See, being an AA... I'm a, I'm a naturally selfish and 
mm, I'm not going to say discompassionate or anything, but not exactly erring on the side of too compassionate. And for a long time, I lived my life this way, but I've found that, that through serving my community, I can be closer to what I call God. And that has been, it's been difficult. It's been a weird thing to learn. Because I, I used to come from a place of like, well, why would I host AA meetings? Why would I chair these meetings? What's in it for me? And like, that's what's in it for me. Is that for whatever reason, as I'm of service to those around me, I get closer to God. So I still do it selfishly. And like, that's the thing, I guess, is I, I didn't have to change anything about myself. I'm still not exactly the nicest or most compassionate dude. I, I don't come from a place of wanting to help people for nothing, you know, just for the good of it. I still do things for the reasons I want to because I derive enjoyment. It just so happens that doing the most selfless thing and doing the right thing is the best thing for me. And it just works out that way. Fucking weird. Another thing I cannot explain. But it works. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah. It's strange how everybody can probably relate to that experience. I bet. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's probably psychopaths out there who would be on the other extreme of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that is not, I think, the normal human experience. I agree. Yeah. I think the, the normal human experience and... and Without going into, well, maybe we will go into it, but (laughs) the normal human experience is that when you live a life of love, you experience what real life looks like. Hmm. And uh, there's a lot of negative connotation to the word selfish. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that you you put it that way. Um, You're, I think, in a sense saying, you do something, at least in part, because you know it benefits you. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's anything negative about that, per se. Mm-hmm. So to call it selfish and still attach that negative connotation to the word, mm-hmm. I think can be misleading to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, to point. I think, yeah, for me to do something because I know it's good for me, Yes, it's selfish in that I'm doing it because it's it's a it is good for me, mm-hmm. but I'm also recognizing it's good for those around me. Because as mm-hmm. we were talking about like multiple times already, what benefits me benefits those around me. Yeah. I mean, that was on the whole Christian theme. That was the call of Abraham from the very beginning. Yes. The reason this God separated out a family is because mm-hmm. he said an effective way to bring blessing to the whole world to enable and help humans to actually build themselves up is to elect someone to share that. Mm -hmm. Like pour out blessing on this family and through this ripple effect, throughout all of history, you have the opportunity to completely transform the world. Hmm. Yeah. So when I choose to do things that I know are good for me, I don't want to call it selfish because of all those negative connotations to that word. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do have an understanding that it's not just about me. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's not just about me. And if it was, I probably wouldn't care that much to do it because I've never been able to care that much about just me. <laughs> Honestly, that Honestly. was always myself, a, a lot of my struggle with 
self-effacing thoughts mm -hmm. and suicidal tendencies and depression mm -hmm. came from maybe not maybe this wasn't the root of roots but the thought that i personally am undeserving of good hmm. so if i do something that it, it's only benefiting me if it doesn't help other people it doesn't matter i'm not interested in doing things that are just good for me because i don't matter i need to be helpful to the people around me because everybody else is better than i am and more deserving than i am they're more valuable than i am which is a horrible place to mm -hmm. come out of. That's not the way that you should go about um, doing good in the world. It's, it's just this weird martyrdom place. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. There's probably lots of different psychological terms for that mindset, and it's not a healthy thing. Obviously, I think, I think common is one of them. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not to minimize your. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's, it's super a, common. Yeah. Yeah. But that was the place I came from. Um, so it's been, it's been a journey for sure coming to this place where I don't just call it selfish and it's not just a negative thing. I recognize I, I have to do things that are good for me because I have to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. But in doing that, I always recognize when I'm better, the people around me are better. And if I take seriously the blessing of Abraham that I believe has been transferred to me, hmm. then I should care immensely about how I'm doing. Because hmm. mm -hmm. if I'm a mess, not only am I a mess, I'm no use to those around me. Hmm. And it seems like a theme of this conversation. Yeah, Everything around me is going to spiral if I'm spiraling out of control. Yes, I want to be that blessing to humanity. I want to carry God's message to the world. Hmm. And if I don't care about myself if i don't think i'm valuable if i think i'm just a piece of trash i i just will not be effective in that so i think doing things whether you call it selfish or not doing things that you know are good for you and that's why you're doing it is is an important thing <laughs> I'd, I'd say you're i'd say you're totally right i'd say uh how much of this are my old patterns and things I'm still trying to trying to figure out and need the and need the uh, more or less the pointing to it's like hey well is that is that selfish you know is it resourceful for you to refer to it as selfish you know because I think that's that's a smart differentiation to make and I think about it sometimes I guess for me it's uh, it's been this weird weird transition of coming from this place where I truly didn't care. And this is all, you know, very uh, personal to me, subjective to me. It's uh, kind of my own weird thing. But yeah, there, there were long periods of time there where I was, uh, <laughs> I was a bad son of a bitch. <laughs> that's, that's, that's plainly what it was. And now that I'm, I'm acting as though I believe in God, it's so starkly different, and I can only really justify, and, and there are times where I can only justify getting up to do the things, or like I can only motivate myself to do these things by saying, well, what are you going to get out of it, man? Like, this is what you get out of it. All right. What happens if you don't do this? It's like, oh, well, well you, might, you might eat a 40 caliber bullet, and that's, that's the truth. So you better get the fuck out there and chair a meeting. 
talk to that alcoholic outside who's fucking, you know, in the same place you were 13 months ago or 15 months ago. But yeah, I think you're right. Not so selfish. Not anymore. It's good. Yeah. Every day is a new day. Every day is a new day. Yeah. yeah. Progress is... Progress is progress. Man. Yeah. Like, I all I can hope is that tomorrow I'll be a little better than I was today. Yeah. 1% better, right? Yeah. I think that's kind of the, kind of the thing. And it's... That's uh, also something... I don't know. Do you... Do you struggle with the, so right now there's a big culture of like productivity Mm -hmm. and I've heard it coined toxic productivity at times. And, uh, I'm not sure how much merit or weight there is to terminology like that. I mean, it's definitely kind of what we talked about earlier. If everything is meaningful all the time, it's too much pressure. You might break yourself, but, uh, but you know, how much of that is really, really pertinent? What are your thoughts and ideas on like the toxic productivity? Can you be too productive? Is there, is there a limit to this? At what point is it detrimental? What do you think about that kind of thing? I really like that question. Um, it's kind of ironic that today is my Sabbath. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh wonderful. Yeah. 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 Well, um, gives good perspective on it then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So uh, I haven't done any research into this term. You might know more about it than I do, but I like the word reductionist. Mm. And I think mm-hmm. even if I'm misusing it from a psychology standpoint, the idea of reducing, mm-hmm. I like that. For me, it's a super important concept. Um, as a Christian, it's super important. I like to go back to the beginning, go back to the basics, what's true. And a lot of that for me, a lot of where I go, is the beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. Genesis 1, what do we see? What happens? And we see a God who has control and chooses to sit back and stop. Um, hmm. Right? Yeah, we're we're not going to get into the conversation. I've had it elsewhere, and I always love to have it, but at this yeah. point, timing-wise, we won't get into yeah. how many days was it. <laughs> <laughs> but in the story, in the narrative, there's six days, and then there's a seventh day. The seventh day doesn't have an end in the story. Every day prior to that is there was morning and there was evening. The seventh day comes, breaks that pattern. That's mm. meant to draw attention. Um, and there's not to our modern American work centric culture. There's not a good reason for a God without limits to say, I'm going to stop now. Yeah. yeah that's but a good point. we see in that story, this God stops. That's what the word means. Shabbat is the Hebrew word from where we, from which we get Sabbath. Hmm. Um, and it most basically just means stop on this day. God stopped. I think there's important lessons. There's lots of things to be learned from that, and I'm not going to try and teach all of it right now. I heard a really good teaching on this recently. Somebody was talking about how Christians like to argue about which commandments we're supposed to follow, really. You know, mm. it's like, you know, we don't do all this law stuff, but the Ten Commandments, you should probably, you know, like <laughs> just stick to those. Yeah. But we never want to talk about the fact that keep the Sabbath holy is one of the ten. Yeah. Um, this teacher, whose name is Marty Solomon, 
he was raising the point that if I, unless I'm mixing up who I was listening to, but I think it was Marty. He was raising the point that the Ten Commandments are kind of the things that are just built into the fabric of reality. Hmm. We shouldn't kill people. That's not how the world was created to be. Mm-hmm. We should not cheat and steal and take mm-hmm. what does not belong to us. We should not devalue our fellow humans in that way. One of those things that's part of that is keep the Sabbath holy. Hmm. So there's something built into reality that says human beings and the world really even needs rest. It needs to intentionally stop at times. The Israelites even had command to let the land rest. You would have probably gone through this recently and you would have seen the command somewhere yes. in Exodus probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every seven years you are to let the land rest mm-hmm. and don't harvest, which for an agriculture, an agricultural ancient culture yeah. that depended on their food production to live Seriously and didn't wise. have Walmart, yeah. that's kind of an extreme thing to ask of them. Yeah. To yeah. say, for a year, you cannot harvest food. Mm-hmm. If that if they're doing that, I don't have an excuse yeah. for not resting. Like I have a refrigerator, <laughs> I know, right? you know, in a pantry. Yeah. Um, but rest, taking Sabbath intentionally, and what that means, has been on my mind more the last couple of years because I've had some people in my life model it really well who are very intentional about Sabbathing, and then just very recently have started making it a practice of my own. So from Sunday, I say at noon to Monday at noon, that's my Sabbath time. Mm. Um, I do that for practical reasons being Sundays. I typically help with things at my church. The morning is a productive time. Mm -hmm. I'm doing things because I'm supposed to, I'm fulfilling a duty. Um, and I'm very happy to do that. So at noon though, like at that point on Sunday, everything's up for grabs. I am not working on things. I'm not trying to be productive. I will say yes to just hanging out with people and talking. I'm, I'm, but I'm choosing to do things that are restful for me. Hmm. And I can say no. Somebody who's really been influential in this area for me is my friend Brandy Harris, who is a practicing counselor as well. Hmm. Um, how she chooses to Sabbath is she says anything that is not restful for her. And that comes from understanding what is restful for me. She says no to on that, on her Sabbath. She Mm. takes a day to Sabbath every week. And it's amazing that even though not a whole lot about how I actually live out my day has changed since I've implemented this, Hmm. just making the change and intentionally saying, this is what this time is for, mm. has made all the difference. That I like get to my weekend and I think about the fact that, oh, it's about, it's almost Sabbath, I get to rest, mm. is so peaceful. Mm. I think production and working is beautiful. I think creating the opportunity to make things happen to exert influence over the world Mm -hmm. and make it better, which is what we get to do in whatever capacity that looks like, whatever you're doing either for work or for hobbies, whatever you're spending your time on, 
we have the opportunity, like we were talking about earlier, how much, how meaningful are things? We do have the opportunity to change the world mm. in the little things. Like I'm affecting the world around me. But to take a day, to take a 24-hour period to say, right now is not the time for me to pour into the world. This is the time for me to reset and remember what's true. To remember that there is someone in control. I can depend upon this person. I can take 24 hours to stop and just meditate and remind myself of who this person is and who they say I am and just recenter. That's what really right now, that's what I'm finding this Sabbath is for me, is an opportunity for me to recenter and realize my value and my identity. Again, these are probably cliches, especially in the culture we're in right now. Mm-hmm. My value and identity are not hinging upon how much I'm producing. That's not saying what I produce and what I'm doing during my week how I'm productive, how I'm working. It's not saying that those things are important because they are, mm-hmm. but it's recognizing this is not all there is in life. Yeah. And if I wear myself into the ground, like we were talking about earlier, I'm hurting myself because like, yeah. I am limited. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the example of a limitless being who chose to stop. I, as a very limited being, I'm taking that example, trying to take it seriously and say, I, evidently, he wants me to realize I don't need to go, 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 go all the time. Mm. And not even, it, it's not like we were talking about earlier, this selfish thing that's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's recognizing that I can't even do good for other people if I am completely drained. I don't have that kind of strength yeah. for me to take a day, 24 hours, just to refocus and like get that energy back that's not bad Mm -hmm. that's not me being selfish with any negative thing attached to it that's me recognizing that i'm limited and i think that's super important and i'm i mean whatever you think of those things of these things whoever's listening whatever you think of all this try it out and see what it does for me it's lifting a huge weight for me. Mm. And I'm not saying that as somebody who has an incredibly difficult life. I'm just saying that as somebody who struggles internally with life all the Mm -hmm. time. Because life, whoever you are, life is a hard thing to get through. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff that happens. There's a lot of hard things in life. Try it out. Hmm. See what rest does. Um, I think... It, it, you'll be pleasantly surprised if you haven't done it. I think that's uh, that's probably what I needed to hear. I think it is. I uh, especially the idea of taking like that very specific time period, going from like you said noon on Sunday to noon on Monday. Yeah, that's what that I is so intentional and it's mapped out and planned so it's kind of like you don't do and you don't plan for anything productive then too mm-hmm. i think that's i think that's really smart i think it's something that i oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna fucking try it out that's what i do <laughs> and uh and as as you were talking the the one thing that it did occur to me is that we talked about like living a meaningful life and how that can break you you know if it's it's too much but this ties in so well it's uh 
Because it is, it's very intentional what you're doing and it's meaningful. And, you know, like you said, if you're burning yourself out, you're not going to be helpful to anyone or yourself. So it's part of living that meaningful life. It's mm -hmm. like it's another responsibility that you take on to give yourself the time you need to be a fucking human being, to let that weight lift off of you. I think that's a wonderful way to put it because that's exactly, you know, at least how I start to feel over long periods of time of what feels like mostly just work with very short, brief periods of uh, relaxation as it does. It just feels heavy. I just start moving slowly and my work gets less efficient. So I think that's, uh, well, that's what I needed to hear. Great. I'm, I'm literally going to try that. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see how that, that works out. I know my girlfriend will be ecstatic. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it won. <laughs> I'll say it's, it's extremely easy to find all sorts of reasons to not do it. Oh, yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. yeah. But I'm not going to repeat myself. It, it's very beneficial. And to like bring up, oh, I think it's raining outside. Yeah, I love right. that sound. Yeah, I know. Oh. Uh, but <laughs> one of the things for me that, again, has been a theme in my life over the last few years, something I feel like I've been learning, I think God is teaching me. Mm-hmm. And Christians will argue about this. Like, I know I'm, I'm also, like, I, I identify as a Christian. I identify as someone who follows the person of Jesus Christ. That's what that means. Um, and a lot of Christians don't like a lot of things I have to say. That's totally <laughs> fine. It's, I, I ask a lot of questions. I think it's really important. I think it is important. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I really push back against is the idea that people are bad. And here's what I mean. The beginning of the story, what we think is our story or God's story, what we see in the Bible, in Scripture, is a good God making a good world and looking at it and saying, mm. this is good. He calls it very good. Mm. And yes. that point is then the seventh day, and it's supposed to continue on. I don't think the message of that Bible says anything changed about the intrinsic identity of what the world was, mm -hmm. even after these characters, Adam and Eve, chose to do something they shouldn't have done. Mm -hmm. I don't think their identity changed, even if their actions did. I believe that humans are good. That does not mean that I don't think humans do bad things. I think, though, and it's weird, we're probably going to like wrap up talking about this because mm -hmm. <laughs> there's so much to be said. Oh, I know. I think that the truest form of what a human being is, is a truly good thing. Mm -hmm. Problem is, there's a lot that gets wrapped up on us and attached to us and things that we choose that are not good. But I think discovering truth and discovering who you are and choosing to believe in what this God said from the very beginning mm -hmm. about who you are, about what you are, hmm. enables you to become that thing. It's really interesting. C.S. Lewis writes about this. I don't remember where it was. I think it might have been an essay hmm. that I read in a book called God in the Dock, which is a collection of Lewis's essays and, and lectures. Hmm. And he was talking about, I 
think, broadly speaking, I'm going to like give my interpretation of what he was saying because I can't quote it. But I think what he was getting at is this, uh, this fear that a lot of us have when confronted with something like Christianity that has actually been brought up to me very directly by a friend a number of years ago. The fear that if I follow this God, am I going to lose myself? Hmm. Who am I? And if I give up who I know to be me right now, who am I going to be? That's a fear, and it makes sense. Yeah. When all the Christianese that you talked, that people talk to you about, yeah, it is, you have to surrender who you are and give up who you are to this God. We don't talk, it's, a lot of the time it's not explained what that means. Lewis gets at this idea and says, this God knows who you actually are. So the more that I surrender who I think I am to this God, Mm -hmm. the more truly me I get to actually become. Mm. Because I think we mentioned earlier, like we are products of our environment, right? Mm -hmm. Some people say you are, um, what is it, the combination of the 12 people you spend the most time with, something like that? Five. Yeah, it's something like that. You're basically, the people you spend the most time with are going to just, you're going to pick up who they are mm-hmm. and adopt it to yourself. It's only natural, you mm-hmm. know. At least aspects of it, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, now, if I'm curious about asking the question, who am I? And I don't want to just look at Bob over here and say, well, I guess I'm him because he's my best friend and I spend all my time with him. If I want to really go deeper and ask that question, for me and my convictions, I have to go to the originator and see what does he say about me? Hmm. And how do I find that out? Hmm. For me, the process of getting to know myself, being able to love myself and be competent in myself has been a process of coming to this God Hmm. and asking him that question. Because uh, who else am I going to ask? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I know what you mean. So for me, a lot of this, to circle back around, a lot of my meditation and refocusing that happens on my Sabbath is about saying, God, what do you say of me? And I think I can see in Scripture what he says about me. I think he wants us to live up to our potential. I think he wants us to be good, to be world changers, to be at the same time at peace and restful, confident and strong, beautiful, true, kind. Like he wants us to be these things. Mm -hmm. And I think if we walk through life saying, we are not these things, we are the opposite. We are bad. We are we are wrong-headed and we are stubborn and we are unkind and we are prone to do bad. Mm-hmm. If we believe that about ourselves, just like our we were talking about earlier having preconceived notions about what to find when you go into an area or what you're looking for, mm-hmm. if you believe that about yourself, if I believe that about myself, I'm going to start becoming that way. There's an old philosophical saying be as you wish to seem right Mm, okay yeah what a concept 
Yeah. Like, well, I want people to look at me and feel like I'm a kind person. I guess I'll just be kind. <laughs> that works. Yeah. <laughs> I want pe- I want to seem intelligent. I guess I'll just try and become intelligent. <laughs> yeah. What a novel idea. Yeah. And it's not as easy as that. It's not as easy as like, oh, Obviously I'm just going to flip subtle, the confidence switch. But yeah. yeah. But if I want to be good, I'm going to, it makes sense that I go to the God and I look at what he says and I say, well, in the beginning he said I was very good. Mm-hmm. Does he not say that about me anymore? Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, if, if I believe the story that I say that I do, he died for me. So that's kind of a big deal. He mm-hmm. must like me a lot. <laughs> Just enough. <Huh. laughs> Maybe... We've got something wrong about the language we use to talk about true identity and I think that is... worthiness or value. And again, I don't want to get into the whole conversation, of but course. I think we've confused what it means to be inherently worthy of something mm. versus having earned something. Mm. Being worthy of something doesn't necessarily mean you've earned it. Paul talks about us being given something by grace, that we didn't earn it, so we can't boast. He doesn't say you weren't deserving of it, I don't think. Mm. I think that's a different concept. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I know that we're wrapping things up, but I, I have a, uh, I don't <laughs> yeah. know, I'm gonna try not to ramble no, no, about this. No, no, let's keep, I mean, like yeah. I mentioned earlier, I'm, yeah. so I tell them like, all you'll probably notice if you've listened to this point and most of the recent episodes end about two hours. I'm also not saying they have to end yeah. right on two hours, so please do share your thought. So. It can't just be me talking to yeah. it, you know. <laughs> so. I, what I, hmm, it, there's a few things in there that really resonated. So there, there's a couple things. I, I, I believe that the grace thing, that's huge. Because we didn't really, like, all the blessings that were given is not because we were like, I'm not really sure if we deserve them or like we earn them. It's by the grace of God that we've been given these things, you know? And so like, that, that that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I guess I think the only place that I would that I think we differ and it's it's temperamental is what I think it is. It's a uh I guess I've it, it, the know thyself thing. I'm not convinced that I am entirely good. And that's a weird thing to say, right? And I and I know what you mean as far as the don't like if you say these things you believe that you're going to do bad things then you will and it's kind of like I I get that and you're right there's a lot there's a lot of weight to that because I don't go around telling myself that I'm a bad person or that mm-hmm. I uh I that I do bad things anymore or that I even want to because I don't but but there's an element of it that I have to add for me and this probably isn't true for most people there's an element that I have to add for me that something like I am immensely capable of not doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. And not only that, but relishing it, enjoying not doing the right thing. And that's something that I had to come to terms with. There was a, 
there was a period of time in my life where I really thought that there was something wrong with me, that I thought maybe I, I erred on, on the side of, uh, I don't know, something antisocial behavior because I would, uh, I do things that I knew were wrong and that hurt people, obviously, but it would, it would make, it would give me satisfaction in the most sick way. And I stopped judging that so much. Obviously I, I try, I'm not sure if it's obvious at all, but I try really hard to make sure that I'm not in situations where I do stuff like that. And I know that I can't live my life like that. It's not good for me or those around me. And it's not like I'm, I don't believe I have psychopathic tendencies. I'm not running around torturing animals or, mm-hmm. or, or bumping an old woman with my car when they try to cross the street. You know, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> it's just like, I've definitely, through my experiences, I have peered at this thing within me that is, well, it's a little twisted. Mm-hmm. It's a little evil and it likes it. And like that, I can't really explain. I've talked to my, to David about it, the clinical psychologist and the sponsor. And he said, well, it's something like this. Uh, he called it a natural, it's this instinct. He called it, it's a broad term for a natural, I'm going to say the word killer instinct, but it's, I don't know, that sounds like a lot. It sounds kind of silly actually, but. And it, what it pertains to is this idea of, a, you know, there's a period of time during human evolution where it paid. It could pay mm-hmm. potentially to enjoy hurting somebody else. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. that's what saved your life, you know. And it's like some people probably have that more than others. And I'm not, I don't know. It sounds like I'm trying really hard right now. I'm some natural killer instincts. I'm super badass guy. But uh, <laughs> and I don't feel that way. But uh, but it's I think it's it's more like, it's more like I just have to be aware of the, of these things that go on inside me that that really do look for that mayhem mm-hmm. and that appreciate it and that like it that really like it and it's like okay well I mean how do I balance these things what do I do how do I make sure that I'm conscious of it and aware and I think that's the point for me at least and maybe for anybody that resonates with this who doesn't know what to do with it like I didn't know what to do with it I didn't know I thought I was just disgusting like I'd get these weird impulses to do like just horrible things and the thought of doing it would make me happy. And it's like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, I read this Bible and it says all the, the, these beautiful things that are true. But some of it makes me feel so inadequate. Like I'm really lacking the ideal. And I think I think the shift in there for me was being like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can to be this good person. And do everything I can to, you know, be like, like Jesus Christ or, or, or emulate God in any way that I can. It sounded weird, but essentially aiming for the highest good. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, paying attention to my own humanity and the fact that I am this deeply flawed creature and to be paying attention to the fact that I might not always be aimed at the best thing and that I have to be very conscious of that. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I could, uh, things can easily go off the rails for me as they have many times. And if I'm not very careful, I could do some... I can do terrible things and one, not know that I'm doing it or two, know that I'm doing it and enjoy it. Yeah. So I think kind of dark. So no, I think (laughs) you, you said that maybe that was just you or maybe it wasn't common to people. I think it's probably common to everyone. I, I have the belief Mm -hmm. that everybody is just as capable of the worst evil as everybody else. Of course. And the language I'm trying to get at to like talk about this idea is that 
while I'm capable of doing those things, I'm choosing to believe that the God that I give my allegiance to, mm-hmm. he sees something. He sees something that's what he thinks, I think. What I believe he sees is the true me. Mm-hmm. Even if it's something I've never realized, mm-hmm. even if it's the distant future, if I'm talking about a being that doesn't live within the confines of time. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about a being who's looking at me and saying, I have redeemed you and imparted the same righteousness to you that Jesus had. Mm. If I'm talking about that God, I want to choose to believe what he thinks of me. And we talk about Jesus looking at us and seeing a spotless lamb, right? (laughs) Do I believe that? What I want to get at is who am I meant to be? Mm. And is that the true me? I think the true, the truest version of who human beings are is something that is impeccably good. And that's not trying to diminish the bad that is still in me. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that thing that's in me is me, even if it's currently inexplicably tied to me. Mm. Yeah. Like I'm an idealist, and so I think God sees me as good. He, like we talked earlier, He recognizes the bad, <laughs> but He's not focusing on it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. No. I think that I think that's astute. I think because uh, it is that that's a transcendent element of it of of God or Jesus seeing that thing within us and then us working towards bringing that out of ourselves despite these nefarious uh, inclinations right. or, or any evil that might reside. And I think that's... Because, yeah, it, it's something like the... Uh, Carl Jung had this idea. I'm going to butcher this to hell because he is <laughs> 10,000 times smarter than I'll ever be. But... Uh, Essentially, like what our conscience is, it's our future or our our conscience and our inclinations, what we're interested in. It's our future self beckoning through us or beckoning to us, you know, through these inclinations and through Mm -hmm. our conscience. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of like know what we should be doing or how we should be doing it. And like the more that we do that, the more that we manifest this future self, the more that, you know, we, uh, that we come to God in this way. Whatever that, whatever that means to us in that moment. And it's a, uh, that continual refinement, that continual improving. Yeah. Yeah. I lost my train of thought there. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's a concept that I have not fully worked out. I don't fully understand it. It's just something, yeah. that, something that I'm reaching for. Mm-hmm. And... I do know just from my experience in my life, everything has changed for me mm-hmm. as a result of just shifting things around about what do I actually believe um, Scripture says? What's what's it? What is it saying? And what am, what am I choosing to focus on in it? Because we all we all pick and choose what we're focusing on in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I could go into that conversation. <laughs> like, 
We all do it, though. Yeah, yeah. There is a wrestling match that has to happen when we talk about this subject that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. The Apostle Paul talks about it, and he says, the good that I want to do, I do not do, and the bad thing that I do not want to do, that's the exact thing that I end up doing. Mm -hmm. And he says still, and yet, when I sin, it is no longer I that sin, but it is sin living within me. Mm -hmm. Paul talks about the guy, by the way, who most of us as Christians basically hold up as our Savior. Mm -hmm. Like somebody else has said, we've made Christ our King, but Paul our Savior. Um, Paul talks about sin and he seems to say that thing is not me it's something separate from me that lives within me but it's not me I'm choosing to believe in the new man the second man Hmm. that his value his identity being imparted to me through Christ if Christ was the, the one who came to show what true humanity is, what a real human is, what a real human was meant to be, and he died, and all the crazy things he said in John 17, <laughs> praying to the Father, like, <laughs> the glory you've given me, I've given to them, talking about his disciples. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not going to claim to understand these things, but I am going to continue wrestling with them and push, trying to push the conversation forward and saying, do we get it? Do we get what God is saying about us? Hmm. And now we're gonna like leave leave <laughs> leave on a cliffhanger. Unless yeah, you had yeah. like something well, you well, wanna yeah, let's can we can continue. Well I'll, what's your thought? I will say I will say something to wrap it up more yeah. or less, at least on my end. And, yeah, yeah, please. Uh, Yeah, I think it's that, that choosing to believe almost in the concept of just generally in Christianity and that if we do the right thing, it will, that the right thing will be pulled out of us. And I think that's kind of what, what I feel like we're, we're dancing around or, or trying to get at here is that it does. It takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of faith to believe that, you know, if I, if I do the next right thing, then something transcendent will be pulled out of me and it made manifest here in the world. And, but that takes a lot of faith because it's a, it's a risk. It is a risk. How do you know? And doing the right thing is not always, you know, it doesn't always seem like the, the, it's the most logical or the safest thing many times in my life. I've, that's the last thing that I've wanted to do. And for whatever reason, it always works out the best. And it always comes from this place of if I have faith that, that I can be better, that I can do better, and that doing the right thing pulls that, that God part out of me, I mean, I mean, things, they just, they get better. Everything gets better all the time. I think that's kind of what I was trying to get out with the Carl Jung thing is that not only does our future self beckon at us from the future, but I think I mean, God himself, whatever that looks like to whoever it is, you know, do the right thing, aim at something high, tell the truth, 
I'm just parroting Jordan Peterson, but uh, <laughs> do these things, do these things, and uh, and that transcendence will be pulled out of you into your being and into your life. So, well, I hope half that made sense. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Some people are, are gonna will have tuned out by now. I'm sure. Of course, they, of course. You know, yeah, those who are still listening. Yeah, we appreciate you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we could talk on and on. Forever I'm sure. is yeah. what it seems now, like. Yeah, life. Yeah, this this conversation is the stuff that fills up life for me. Yes, so most, we most could, we could always continue. But most as definitely. I'm reminding myself with this podcast, the goal is not to find all the answers and tie up all loose ends it's just no it's, too much pressure it's, it's not to finish the conversation but just start it yeah there you go that's good. um so have a conversation like this please if you're listening like mm-hmm. have a good conversation with somebody yes um but we wrap up every episode with a, a formula which is the guest gives a recommendation which can be anything at all and then tells a funny story because, oh, because <laughs> which is the hardest question I ask anybody. I know, to, right? Yeah. Um, I'm going to tell you all just, the terrible like, things about my life. And this is harder. Though. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like to end on a positive note. Okay. No, I think that's really good. Yeah. But recommendation Smart. first. It can be the silliest or most profound thing. Tell the truth. Mm. No matter what it is. I mean, obviously, too much truth is harsh. Dole the truth out when it's necessary in its necessary increments. And your life will be so much better. Uh, the, the, I mean, it's cliche as fuck, but the, the truth will set you free. And I have learned that in the most painful of ways. And if I could you know, help anybody, it would, it would be that. And if you don't know what the truth is, find somebody that you know does know the truth. Let them do your, thi- their, your thinking for you for some period of time. And sooner rather than later, you will be able to iron your shit out. I had to do it. And it's the best thing I've ever done. It was the most painful thing that I could have done, but it was the best thing. And life only gets better. Hmm. So, you know, no matter what you believe in, tell the truth. I implore you. So, yeah, that's my recommendation. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> a challenging one. I know. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a challenge for me. I don't do it perfectly. I yeah. still work. What this? Yeah. A funny story. Yeah. Or a joke. Like, or seriously, joke. most of them end up being... Um, a funny story but when I first started doing this I decided I'd been doing it every episode and I decided to do it early on yeah um, there have been a couple ones that ended with a joke but the important I mean everybody has funny stories everybody the important thing for me is just like we're ending on a high note this this and, this is like we were talking about earlier you don't have to make everything serious yeah you're right like, you're let's right. have some fun it's so funny because I get asked this question and then the one thing I can't think of is a story. <laughs> every single person. Well, it would be an exaggeration to say everybody freezes up right away. But generally speaking, getting put on the spot like that, mm-hmm. it makes it hard to think of something good. It kind of does. A lot of my humor is very contextual and dry. And that's the... Uh... <laughs> if you can, I'm pretty dry, though, too. So if you can get me laughing and then yeah. we're both laughing, like, then, then that, there we that's go. really what yeah. counts. Yeah. Yeah, uh. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the, that might be the joke. Is that <laughs> is I consider myself a funny person, and uh, but you know, on command, it's uh, it's one of the hardest things right. for me to do. Yeah, and I've got all these like ridiculous stories, but I think most of them are 
most of them flee from me right now or they're wildly inappropriate just in general. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. I'm trying to think of it because I got a lot of stories back whenever I used to get really fucked up. And I mean, some of those were pretty funny, but nothing's really coming to mind right now. I guess, uh, you know what? It's not funny, but it's kind of cool. I'll tell you a story about whenever I did ayahuasca. I don't even know what that means. Ayahuasca is a powerful hallucinogen and from okay. the rainforest. Okay. And uh, so I was, this was the day I opened my gym. It just worked out this way. And in okay. Austin, I went to the ceremony. It was like a real ceremony. This dude's a fucking shaman. And like, like we were out in the middle of this ranch. It's a big ass ranch. And it's like a fucking ceremony, man. And so like I opened my gym that day. And it just so happened I was doing ayahuasca that night. It was the biggest day of my whole fucking life. And uh, so I go out, drive all the way to this ranch. I'm, uh, I am, I'm there, meet some people there, people that are taking the ceremony, and I'm talking to the shaman dude, you know, just getting excited and shit. He has us draw these cards, you know, these animal cards from the rainforest, and it's supposed to kind of set a tone. And I draw a card, and it was the jaguar. Scared the fuck out of me because <laughs> i'd heard people, what does this mean <laughs> yeah exactly i heard people's trips about uh like they've been eaten alive by jaguars their trips and i'm like god damn it man like <laughs> this is gonna be one of those fucking journeys dude and uh and at this point i've done enormous amounts of hallucinogens mushrooms and acid and god have you everything else uh so i and it said it was like a thing of rebirth or whatever so i was like that's fucking cool i'm about to get eaten alive and uh so we do this thing. He does this tobacco ceremony to get us cleansed of our energy. And he, uh, he like, takes a big drag on this fat fucking Amazonian tobacco cigarette. And he, like, whoo, blows it on your face and everywhere. And it just stinks. And I'm like, all right, let's get this shit going. And we wait until it gets completely dark. And so it's pitch black in this room. And, uh, like, you're not really next to anybody. It's a big room, so you're spaced out. You're supposed to have your own experience, you know, in the pitch black of night. And before we're supposed to take the first dose, because there's three doses, there's one dose every two hours for six hours. Before we take the first one, he's like, all right, everybody set an intention. So I set an intention. I was like, it was something to do with my mother. Like I wanted to, uh, I wanted to know that my mother loved me because it was always a really rocky relationship. I promise this isn't going to end serious, but, uh, but, uh, and so, like, I take the dose, and I'm sitting there for 45 minutes, nothing happens. And then all of a sudden, I start feeling funny. And then uh, all of a sudden, there's, like, these demon masks in front of my vision, like, appearing and, like, dancing and shit. And I'm like, oh, my God, dude. It's going to be one of these fucking things, man. <laughs> First, I'm going to eat my goddamn Jaguar. Now, you know, we got the Joker dancing in front of me and shit. And then, like, out of nowhere, the shaman's, like, like, like right in front of me. And he blows the cigarette shit in my face. And the mask, they go to the side of my vision. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking at a, like a long-ass hallway. And then it hits me. It was like my mother had always loved me. It was just, you know, in her own way. And then I was like, wow, that's fucking nice. And so the time for the next dose came. So I took the dose. And this time, the intention was, uh, you know, I want to feel my mother's love. Because, you know, knowing something and feeling something different. Mm-hmm. And so... I take the dose and almost immediately, like I start tripping and it was, uh, I feel filled with this purple light. You know, and I could feel my mother's love. You know, it was wonderful. And then 
and then things started to get like really weird and intense. So like my, my intention was already filled and all of a sudden I moved on to this other place. I started to feel like really disembodied and all of a sudden I saw this geometry flying at me at like a thousand miles an hour and it was fucking insane. It was just like, it was chaos. And at this point, the, uh, the shaman said, all right, I'm going to be doing healings now. So come forward and sit in front of me if you'd like to be healed. So he tells that and I can't see. And what I can see is fucking geometry flying at me at a million miles an hour, dude. It's so fucking disorienting. So I halfway fucking crawl over to this guy and plop down in front of him. And he's like, what can I help you with? And I just like, you know, fucking wide eyed. I'm like chaos, you know. And he was just like, what about chaos? And I was like... I can't stand in all this chaos. I meant that both ways, like metaphorically, but physically, dude, I could not stand yeah. up at that point. And he was like, all right, let me do this thing. So he starts singing in Ikaru. It's one of those songs in South America that they sing during these ceremonies. And he's got this, um, the tam- not tambourine, but this jiggly fucking rattle in his hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a white dude who went to Peru and got shamanic training. I mean, it was about as legit as you can get in Austin, Texas. And uh, he's like doing this thing and like waving this rattle back and forth. And I remember I closed my eyes for a second. I opened him up again. It was very dark. What I saw was I saw this. I saw he was a skeleton and he had like an Indian headdress on, shape, waving this rattle around. And I'm just like, I'm gonna close my eyes, man. <laughs> I'm good on that shit, bro. And uh, so I close my eyes and he does this thing. He, he stops doing that. He takes his feather and he's like wiping me in all these like weird fucking places. I'm just like, ah, it kind of tickles. And then, uh, and then he takes this like alcohol solution that smells like flowers. He like takes a little bit in his mouth and he, like, whoosh, like spits it on me. And he does that in all these like weird places in my body. It's like it's spit on by this grown man. You know, it was kind of odd. But and then all of a sudden, the geometry that was flying at me at a million miles an hour it starts to like slow down and then like lock into place. And it's like beautiful. It's like a mosaic. All of a sudden, I start to feel less disembodied and more you know, powerful and better. And, and then he, he leaned in and he whispered to me that, you know, you have to make friends with chaos because it is through walking with and inside of chaos that you're able to pull information out and take this information and help you and other people. I was like, oh, that's better than what I had going. So I took that. Went back to my little mat, sat down, waited for the last dose. And the last dose I asked, my intention was like, what do I have to be to best serve the world? And I take the dose and it's kind of uncomfortable, this one. I'm like kind of like squirming around on my mat and I just see like symbols, ancient symbols popping up in my vision that I don't know if I've ever really seen, but they seem familiar. And now I'm seeing jaguars all over the fucking place, you know. But everything's gray. Everything is gray. It's just jaguars and symbols. It was fucking nuts. And uh, through this insanity, I get this little download. And I just opened my gym, so I get this download. It was like, you need to put your gym schedule on Instagram because it's not there. And people won't know when you're open. And I was like, for the split second, dude, I'm sober as fuck. And I'm like, oh, you're right. Like, that's a good idea. And then snap, bam, back to tripping balls. Jaguars, symbols, rolling around. And then it happened again. It was like, you need to buy lighter kegs. Because you're going to have a bunch of women clients. And I was like, all right. 
it's all really fucking literal. And all of a sudden, snap, back to fucking tripping balls. And like, I remember these things so clearly. And then the last one was, it's the things you do, the little things, every day that add up to the big changes. It's no one large action. It's these little things done every day. Then I was stone cold sober. So yeah, that's my story. I'm not sure how funny it is. Okay. But, uh, but <laughs> I think the Instagram thing was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't understand half of it. It was, uh, yeah. <laughs> Drugs, man. <laughs> what can I say? Yeah. Yeah, you're totally fine. Okay. Obviously, be conscious of like, you're not gonna boop right into the microphone. Yeah. You know? uh, we'll see. And, we'll yeah, see. We'll see yeah. how, how things work out. Yeah.